I was there. I was there. At the dawn of the third age. This is an Interstellar News Network special report. Two years after winning the Shadow War, Captain John Sheridan, president of the Interstellar Alliance, is leaving Babylon 5 for what many expect to be the last time. I don't need an Interstellar Alliance. You're my universe, Dylan. I love you. A friend of mine once said, the future is all around us, waiting in moments of transition to be born in moments of revelation. This is just such a moment. Fire this baby up. Oh, something's wrong. What kind of energy does this facility use? Tachyons. Oh, crap. Where the hell am I? Yes, I'm stuck in time. Moving between timelines, universes, realities. The longer you stay out of your own timeline, the more you'll start sliding into parallel worlds. So how do I fix it? You have to get back to Babylon 5. Losing the Shadow War wasn't your fault. Wait, we lost the war? <gasps> On the positive side. At least we have a good view of the show, eh, Shadowdun? This is Babylon 5. We are under attack. Do you know what a last stand is? You just joined one. Activate destruct sequence. Destruct sequence? Are you feeling all right? This isn't just one of those I'm having a bad day things. I am totally in a mood to blow some stuff up. Everything ends. I'm not afraid. Bring it. John? Stay back! It's happening again. I'm coming unstuck in time. Zathras won! But no one listens to Zathras. You look like someone in need of a friend. Friend. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another recording of the League of Non-Aligned Podcasts. And this one is a special one because we have so many different accents. It's going to be amazing. But we apologize for the delay in transmission, but sometimes life gets in the way. But we are here to talk about the now <laughs> released three weeks ago, Babylon 5, The Road Home. I'm Scott, and with me is... Kevin from Grace 17. Medusa, you're next. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, I'm Medusa. Um, I do reactions, and you can watch me on YouTube. I'm Baz Greenland on a drinking form. And I'm Ryan Slowinski from Yum Yum Podcast, a podcast going through Babylon 5, just like a lot of other folks here. But we have the twist of being a married couple and, and the only Australian Babylon 5 podcast. No one has tried to defeat that claim, and we're going to keep it. What a twist. That's the twist. I'm Alexander of the Third Age podcast. We are doing exactly the same thing just a bit later, and I'm the only of a German podcast that has shown up today, so I can claim that title for today. Uh, Jfair from Who Are You? Uh, another Babylon 5 podcast, yeah. No, no twist. And I'm Summer Brooks, co-host of the Babylon podcast, which I guess technically is one of the first ones, or maybe the first one, depending on how you count chronologies in Babylon 5 universe, which are about to get a lot more complicated. And I'm Mike from Grey 17 Podcast. 
So when I told Mike to do the plug, he didn't do the plug. So I'm Scott with Gray 17 Podcast as well. You can find us on YouTube as well as on your audio podcast of choice by searching Gray 17 Podcast. But guys, we are here today to talk about the first Babylon 5 anything in dozen of years and also the first movie in quite a long time as well. So what we're going to do in this conversation is really just get an idea of where everyone's feelings are with the road home and then also kind of do a deep dive and talk more about what we uh, saw, what we think happened, what we theorize and all that good stuff. So we're just going to dive in and I'm just going to go through the list here and get first impressions from everybody on what they thought about the road home. So I'll go through the uh, list just as we just did. So uh, Kevin, first you, first impressions on the road home. I know you've kind of watched it twice. <laughs> so I, I did like it. I'm really excited for what may come next. Uh, I liked the animation. Um, the the voices of uh, the, the new folks, uh, taking over for folks we've unfortunately lost. I thought overall were very good. I thought they fit in nicely without uh, taking away from the story. Um, I was a little bit disappointed that a couple of the characters weren't more involved than they were, but I, I realized that's hard to do in 80 or 90 minute animated. So hoping for something in the future where they can get back to a little bit of an ensemble where they're doing things with everybody. Um, this was really heavy on Sheridan, which is okay with me, but, uh, it would be nice to, to see a little bit more, especially from Londo. Um, as far as what may come next, you know, I, I'm hoping this will turn into another series. Uh, I, I hope everyone's not sick of multi multiverse stuff. I am a little bit, but at the same time, if it gets all the characters back in, into the fold, then great. So I'm I'm looking forward to what comes next for Babylon Five. Next up, we got Medusa. Who uh, you're, this is your first time on the League of Non-Aligned podcast, so we really appreciate you joining us. Also, I have a bone to pick with you because you saw this thing at least a few months before everybody else, and I'm still overly jealous. But go ahead and give us your fifteenth impression on the road home since you've seen it so so long ago. I've actually only watched it twice. Once when I was allowed to watch it and was given permission to watch it. And then on the day arrived at home with the commentary. So I've not actually had a chance to watch it again. Um, so I think my perspective is going to be a little bit different because I went from the Lost Tale straight into this. So I didn't have that 16-year wait of what you guys had. So I just seemingly went into this without any gap. So I think my take on it is going to be probably a little bit different. I overall enjoyed it. The multiverse thing, I think, was the one thing that took me by surprise a little bit because it is more common now to see that in film, especially. But I enjoyed it. I thought the animation was actually quite beautiful. All the added detail on the shadow vessels, on the station itself, I just thought were amazing, actually because it looked like the shadow ships had eyes and it was just so cool. And the thing that saddened me were those characters we didn't have, but after conversations I've had, I can understand why they weren't in it and what could possibly happen in the future with those characters if we get more of these. 
And I think the story overall, I enjoyed it. I liked the whole um, having the... Well, what they called the... Um, I can't remember what they called, you know, like the devices that Zath was brought. The, the tachyon. Lasers. Yeah, yeah I like that they came back. And when they mentioned, you know, the tachyon, and I was like, my first initial thought was, oh, this shit, this is going to be bad. Because as soon as they mentioned <laughs> tachyon, you know something is going to go wrong. So that was my first initial thought with it. Um, I quite liked the humour in it. Um, having spoken to Joe a couple of times, the humour I thought was just very Joe. Like a lot of the things he says kind of came across in this film for me, some of the jokes and things. So I was like, okay. Um, but yeah, I, I thought it was a really nice addition. I loved the animation. Because I'd only just recently gone straight into this, I think the voices for me didn't seem that different because I already had the characters' voices in my head already. There wasn't much there. The only one that kind of did seem different to me slightly was Jakar, probably. But other than that, I think I think it was a really good addition, actually. And I'm looking forward to more. So instead of trying to alleviate my jealousy, now you're talking to JMS in the fir- in the first name basis and hanging out with him. And so that's fine. That's completely fine. Baz, first impressions. Yeah, <laughs> um, I loved it. Not perfect, but I absolutely loved it. Um, I should have plugged my book, by the way. There's a reason I'm going to plug my book. So I've written a book about the 30th issue of Elden 5, which is in pre-order now, should be out by the end of the year. Um, and the reason it, it's called, this is called The Triumph of Elden 5, the sci-fi classic is long twilight struggles with my favorite episode of the show anyway the reason i'm doing that is because i've been i've been writing a lot about Battle of five and for me the opposite of producer was that the last Battle of five was the lost hells in 2007 so it's been even though i've watched Battle of five many times again for the book for the podcast new Battle of five it's been so so long that it almost didn't matter for me that it wasn't perfect because it was new Battle of five and it was such a joy to go and revisit that show. Um, something new. We, we dropped on the doorstep um, on that Monday. Everyone kept getting it before me. A pre-order that came really early on the weekend. I was like, I want it now. But it finally came. It was just, I, I watched that day, and it was just a joy to have new Bubba Five my hands and to watch it. And it's not it's not perfect. I, th- I thought the animation is lovely. I really love the animation on it. Some really great ideas as well. I thought the new actor, the actors were placed in the actors that are past. Um, they didn't necessarily sound like the characters, but they had the essence of Jakar and Delenn and so on. So we'll talk, I know we'll talk a bit more about that. So I thought that was really good. And um, again, I'll bet you Jason. So I, I've chatted to Pat Tormann and Peter Jurusic in the last couple of months, just pre-strikes, actually. So I was, so I was talking to them about, about Road Home for the podcast. And, um, and then hearing them, Actually, on the on the on the uh, the road home, they were brilliant. I thought Lita and Peter just nailed it. They were so so good. So, um, yeah, overall, I'm um, lots lots to talk about. But um, I, it wasn't perfect, but I had it was such a joy to watch. I had a great time and I loved it. Ryan, well. Last time we were here to talk about this project, my one condition was I hope it doesn't it isn't it isn't embarrassing because that's how I felt when I watched The Lost Tales when it came out. I was embarrassed as a fan. I didn't like it. And same with uh Legend of the Rangers. So the lo- the bar was low. And it went over that bar. I enjoyed it. I thought it was a good time, but I I I, I liked it in the same way that I like a lot of the B5 movies, which is a piece of fun but not devastatingly consequential this is 
as good to me as say third space it does the character stuff well i enjoyed the cast of characters themselves i like the story well enough but i'm it's not anything groundbreaking to me but i i had a good time when it was on i've thought about a few scenes here and there but um i am excited for more i liked the animation style i thought it was very good I was exhilarated to hear some of these voice actors, you know, these voices again. I thought uh, Pat Tolman was a standout to me. I'm like, oh, she hasn't, it's like she hasn't stopped playing Lita. It's like a, a day hasn't passed. And same with Bruce as Sheridan. He was just instantly back into it. The new voices were hit, hit and miss for me. Sometimes I had to remind myself that, oh, that's Garibaldi, by the way. He just sounds like a guy to me. Or, oh, that's Sinclair. And I mean, some of those voices are like Andreas Katsoulis and Michael O'Hare. They're voices that are so like unique and specific, it's hard to capture. Like, who can really say wanderers like Michael O'Hare can? No one. But I, I liked it. I thought it was I thought it was a good time. And um on our on our podcast, we we kept we've kept saying like it's gonna be really sad having to end on the lost tales and although we've already reviewed this i i appreciate that like on a next watch through i can end my journey on babylon 5 with this fun romp where there's a lot more life and energy and exuberance and excitement in it and a potential like there feels like there's an actual potential for more so it's a thumbs up for me overall and our another new addition to the league Alexander, although you've been in the community for forever, and I'm really excited that you've got your podcast going now because uh, you always have some great feedback and uh, just uh, in-depth conversations about this show. So, Alexander, your first impressions. Well, first of all, I'm super happy to be here and to to have this chance uh, with The Road Home. It felt to us like we hit a very interesting timing getting into it and, and starting our own little uh, watch through of Babylon 5 right as The Road Home came out. So it was quite a bit of whiplash to, in the middle of early season one, go to pretty much the end of season five and, and watch this. And maybe because of that, we've been very torn watching this film because on the one hand, I'm seeing this as like another addition to the Babylon 5 I know and love. Like this is another of the TV movies and it took me quite a bit of time to kind of view it as that. And uh, the longer I've been thinking about it, the more I've started to like it as this. I now feel like, okay, it does add something to me. When I start my next watch through of Babylon 5, it's going to feel a little bit different because there are one or two scenes in The Road Home where I feel like, okay, I am getting a little bit of a new perspective that actually enhances this experience for me. But then completely separate from that almost is this experience of, okay, this also feels like something that sets up an entirely new direction for Babylon 5. And uh, I'm glad that it does this by starting with the multiverse stuff, because personally, I'm not a big fan. I'm glad to get this out of the way. And if this is now uh, in the final scene, a new timeline with all the characters in there for timey-wimey shenanigans, that's good. I can buy into that. I'm happy to move on from this now. And this makes me very excited to see what's going to be the next thing if this animated thing continues, because I would love to see this style and this new voice cast and such applied to a story that is maybe more in the line with the Babylon 5 that I really love, where it maybe goes a little bit more into the political, the character things, and stays longer in one universe instead of giving us this like collection of vignettes, which all of them I really, really loved. But Babylon 5 is always praised for its long-term storytelling, so it would be wonderful to see more of this again as well. Shafir. 
So I had the experience to be able to uh, watch this at San Diego Comic-Con, which was super cool um, to sit in that audience. And with, uh, I mean, it was not a big crowd. It was actually when I stood up and turned around after the movie to see how many people were there, I was kind of disappointed to see how many people were there. I was hoping there would be a lot more, Uh, but I've had a lot of time to sit and think about it. My initial reactions walking out of the hall were if we're looking at Babylon 5 in production order, this is the best thing they've done since Day of the Dead. Uh, so that felt good. Um, I, I don't want to be a pessimist. I don't think I liked the movie. Um, <laughs> uh, I didn't dislike it at all. It just felt like it was a lot of very quippy one-liners. It felt a lot more like I was reading a JMS comic book than I was watching an episode of Babylon 5 to me, which is not necessarily a bad thing. Uh, but it is nice to have something. Obviously, there's no finale. There's nothing Babylon 5 can do in universe it's going to top sleeping in white for me and just acknowledging that and just moving on with my life as with that acknowledgement i don't expect there to be anything better than that but having this has the chronological end now instead of crusade or legends of the uh legend Leg- legends of the rangers right is the movie uh having that end a watch through now is going to be a significantly better experience Summer. I was actually sent a copy by Warner Brothers. Uh, I I had asked for Blu-ray. They sent me 4K. So, you know, but that means I have an extra copy that will be given away at some point in time. The first impression I had, it took me a minute to get used to the animation style. But once I did, I was in i could i was very impressed with how bruce boxleitner was still sheridan throughout the entire thing um i couldn't stop laughing at the opening sequence arguing about socks that was just delightful to me the i was curious i still am curious about why certain of those points in time were selected to tell those stories. And my initial impression is that that final sequence where we stay on Babylon 5 after, you know, John connects with Delenn and they go back to their time, I think that's where the new series is going to pick up from. That's that's just my opinion. And I have thoughts about that um which we can get into later (laughs) yeah we'll definitely talk about that because i agree with you and i actually flat out said uh on uh, uh, twitter i think that jms lied to us because he said there would be nothing about the reboot in this movie and that's the reboot universe and if it's not i'll be really surprised let's Um, go so he actually addressed that that at comic-con 
Okay, well, let's, we're, we're, we're going to talk about it because that will be our discussion at the end. But let's get—we okay. have one more first impression, and that's Mike. I'm here to rain on everyone's parade. No, not really. Um, I, I will say overall, um, I've now watched it twice, and my initial impression of this was I came away from it pretty lukewarm. Um, I thought it was a good time, but I feel as though, you know, I, 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 much like what Ryan was saying, I feel like in this day and age, I feel like it has to justify its existence a little bit. And and so I was looking for it to do that. Now, arguably, we're going to have a discussion about whether this is actually the springboard into a reboot or not. And and <laughs> that may in, retroactively affect my opinion of this uh, in the end. But, you know, I kind of watched it and and it's a it's a situation where much like my beloved Transformers franchise, I appreciate that this movie exists much more than I actually appreciate the movie itself and i think that's the best way i can sum it up but you liked rise of the beast right i mean (laughs) you guys have said most of everything i wanted to say a couple things is i feel like i'm the one who enjoyed this the most or at least close to it based on what you're all saying I was with Mike on the first one. I watched it. Uh, I watched it at 2 a.m. when it dropped for me on Amazon Prime, and uh, maybe I was a little tired, but it was. It didn't knock my socks off. Uh, referencing the first scene, but it definitely was a good watch. But I just watched it for the second time about two hours ago, and it was better on the second watch. And I really did enjoy the vignettes. I enjoyed experiencing these characters again. And I think um, just I'm always the guy who I mean, Twilight Zone is my favorite show of all time. I like quick little story bits. Sometimes I think Deconstruction of Falling Stars is an amazing episode for that reason. So this is kind of in my wheelhouse. So I enjoyed it that way. But as all you all said too, the animation style. I think was amazing. I don't think Babylon 5, the station, has ever looked better. Uh, I I do appreciate that even though everything is CGI nowadays, I'm an old guy, so I like 2D, 2D drawn animation, and this kind of looks like that, even though it's not, so I appreciate that too. But yeah, I mean, it's I really did enjoy it, and I, I'm looking forward to what's next with it. But before we get to that, let's dive into the actual show. Now, uh, what I'm going to do here is just kind of go bit by bit and break it up into the timelines we experience. But before we do that, we are uh, 20 years before Sleeping in Light when we have Sheridan and Delin leaving Babylon 5. So, I'm, Summer, you already mentioned the socks thing, but how do you all feel about diving in to this movie where it did and i know my my newbies hate it because now they can't watch it for another year but how do you all feel about where this fits into the timeline and uh how we get this thing started with dylan and sheridan well i feel vindicated because when we talked about this last time i said it would be roughly around this time but uh i i enjoyed it um i was just happy that the relationship between john and dylan felt how I remembered it that yeah this grand opening with everyone doing their little bit of the narration then hard cut to John being kind of an idiot and pedantic and 
That's this weird little skeptical. I need my lucky socks guy because that's what he's. That's what he is. He's a kooky little man who needs his things to operate his life. And I really just like that part of it when it comes to this timeline. Like they're evoking and referencing some of the events that we saw, like Lockley saluting. And obviously, it's a little different visually, and there's reasons for that. But I was just more thrilled by the feeling of the character's relationship being how I remembered it and how I've been experiencing it on my watch through currently. So that was the real standout. Like, yeah, it's the actress who plays Delenn is obviously, you know, got a different uh, flair for this role, but I, I quickly warmed up to it because the writing felt like Delenn. So I eventually got used to it very much so. And also I kind of really loved Lanier being a like being a little weirdo being like he's not wearing socks oh no and I, and I had a little chuckle because I'm like you're gonna betray them in like a day by the way <laughs> <laughs> you know <laughs> you know that right Lanier like in a day's time you're gonna betray them both because you're a weird little man but uh yeah I I got it just I just got a kick out of just it feeling like JMS picking back up on how to write romantic relationships because on my watch through b5 i think that's been one of the real strongest takeaways is he has a really keen ear and eye for writing long-term romantic relationships yeah i i think that's what i was saying about capturing the essence of the characters she does sound different the actual is different and it did be a moment to kind of get around that but the essence of delen and sheridan was there from the start it was beautiful to see and um, no, I, I I love it like you, Ryan. I I think it's interesting that they say not to do the whole linear betrayal thing, but I get why because there was also an attempt to get new people in. If you have this random betrayal sequence, it doesn't go anywhere because we jumped mm -hmm. our timelines. I think that I, it was a smart decision to cut it. Um, my son watched it with me. He's now watched number five, and he was able to follow the story actually. So so it could go, things like that actually worked. I I understand why they cut it, but uh. Um, that didn't matter for me. It was you're right for me. It was the it was a Sheridan Delenn, and um, they were great together. And I thought there was some really good stuff. They had good humour, even when you get to Minbar. I mean, I loved all the stuff about about the press release and stuff, and all that kind of stuff. That kooky stuff. That is so JMS. It's actually a very very funny film. It's actually film, and most of the jokes landed for me. And even in these early scenes, those jokes work quite well. For me, it, it also pulled me in immediately, but I also liked that this was a scene that very quickly established also why are we going on this multiverse adventure, because it establishes, okay, we know where Sheridan is, we know where Dylan is, and we kind of know what's going to happen to them. Like, we know he has this job that he doesn't exactly like, and he's going to do all this boring stuff, so he wants to go on this adventure that kind of breaks out of this, and uh, yeah, it, it pulled me right into this era of the show, but then also got me excited, okay, we are going to do something more than opening shopping malls for once. And then he goes open a shopping mall. <laughs> I think for me personally, it was like coming home, that opening scene of seeing Lockley with the crowd. And it was just like, oh, yay. Because that episode of Crusade where we see the station again, it just really broke my heart because I was like, I know it's, you know, gone kind of thing by the time we get to sleep in the night. So it was really nice to see that scene with the crowd and 
as you said, Delen is different, but from what I understood, that was more of a conscious choice. There was reasons behind that. Um, but it didn't detract from me at all. And when they were talking about the socks, I just started laughing and I was like, John, they'll be in the shower. It's where you keep them. You just use to wash your socks in the shower. So that's probably where you're going to find them. I think for me, Minbar as well, though, that's the one place that I really wish we'd seen more of because that Civil War segment was such a short span of the actual story. I, I wanted to see more of Minbar, spend more time on Minbar. So I was really happy that we got to see more of that. And I really wanted to see Rathen, but obviously there was no Rathen because I adore Rathen and he keeps Jeff's special box and he's just adorable and he's just the greatest person. So I was kind of hoping we'd get to see that suit again, but we didn't. But I thought it was quite nice, a little opener. Yeah, that homecoming is where I felt too, especially when we have the scene which is cut straight from the show where we have Lockley and we have Taylan and we have Veer all at the window watching Sheridan leave. And we got a little Taylan, which makes me happy. Uh, along with that, uh, and I know, Mike, you're going to say something as well too, but uh, Medusha, you already mentioned uh, Rebecca Reedy as Delenn. I'd love to hear everyone else's thoughts as we, and we'll talk about all of the new voice actors as we get to them, but uh, Rebecca Reedy with Delenn is our first one we actually deal with. So I'd love to hear you guys' thoughts on that too. Mike, what do you got? Yeah, I mean, I, I can really just echo the sentiment everyone else has already stated that that it did feel like a homecoming. And, and for me, I was very critical of the animation style going into this. And I, some of you already touched on it and we'll probably touch on it a lot more as we progress. Um, there were certain things about it, particularly the um, the it, it's a stylistic choice, but it's the characters faces that, I, that really bugged me with the previews coming into this. And so I was very on edge and when the show started and we got those opening scenes the voice acting for delano i thought was was very good it's it's obviously not a, a spot-on replication but it captured the essence of the character very well and then couple that with the very good writing uh between you know box lightner and delen's character sheridan and delen um it kind of it it brought me home and it really Assuage, very quickly assuaged the, the pessimism that I felt about it and grounded me in the like, oh, we're back. <laughs> and and it felt good and familiar and kind of set the tone for the rest of the watch through. I was also a little apprehensive about the animation style from the stills. And once it was in motion, it was immediately like, oh, this works. Like, I felt that same thing in that first opening scene where it's just like, I was a little eh, going into it. But once you see everything moving, it definitely worked a lot better for me in that form compared to a still. Yeah, well, and I think as we talk about some of the other scenes, I, I think there are times where, at least for me, it, it failed. <laughs> I'm still not a big fan of the animation style. I think it works really great. It's really beautiful for a lot of action sequences. But I, I'm the 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 expressions of the character faces bother me kind of throughout the whole thing, and I actually to the point that I had trouble recognizing at times one character versus another. And you guys were all talking about it before we started recording, so I'll I'll sit on this remark until we get there. But hmm. I actually thought there was a scene featuring an entirely different character. 
<laughs> I know exactly what you're talking about, and yeah. we will get there in a few jumps. Anyone else want to talk about Rebecca Reedy or anything with before the the present day quote unquote before we have our first time jump? I wasn't quite as high on her voice as a couple of the others. Um, I felt like maybe she was attempting a little bit of an imi imitation more than just trying to do her own thing. But um, that one took me out of it a little bit. I thought the Garibaldi was spot on, although we didn't get a lot of that. So I got to disagree with Ryan on that one. I thought the Garibaldi was pretty spot on. Um, I thought the Jakar was fine. Um, the, like you, you, like you had said, Scott, and a couple others, I don't see being able to replicate O'Hare's voice very easily for whatever reason. He just has very unique ones. So you might as well not even try at some point on some of them. Cause you don't want to sound like an imitation. Well, and that, that yeah. was the key thing too. Uh, JMS, uh, has said several times publicly that he reached out to all the, the surviving actors and said, Hey, we're going to have folks come on and they aren't going to ape what our guys did. They're going to do their own thing. And if anyone has a problem with this, we will cancel this right now and not do it. So lucky. I, I mean, I think it's lucky that the, everyone signed on and said it was okay. Um, for, yeah. for reading and Delenn's voice, she is the one who actually I think is doing the least of trying to sound like Mira. Um, I think others are trying to sound like their counterparts and hers, I think is just a voice that is just a normal kind female voice uh, rather than yeah. that's Dylan's voice. So yeah, for it me, sounds, sounds a, it sounds a bit like a Dracula at times. Um, oh, I, I wasn't going to go that far. My goodness. Um, <laughs> No, she Mondo was himself. Nosferatu. I don't know. Enough and say that. I'll say that she sounded like a Dracula. And one of the things we didn't discuss, what? and I'm curious of what people think, is it does have some specific type of humor early on. Like we have ISN is there to give us lovely exposition, as they always do. But there's a lot of gags with ISN. Like they fly the white star off, and it dings one of their little camera drones and you get a whole like, is this thing on? And some of those type of jokes took me out because the humor when it came to like writing through the characters of Sheridan bitching about his job, I'm like, that's spot on. This is the type of humor I want. I find it inherently funny that John Sheridan is the hero of the galaxy and he resents having to do uh, work. He's like, I don't want to do be the, I want to be the president, but do I have to really do the politicking side of it? That's boring. I don't want to have to open shopping malls. Fine. I'll do this. And him being petty enough to be like, I'm not wearing socks, by the way. You, I want to know you, where ISN got the B-roll of the shadows attacking the Icarus. That's what I want to know, because that would have been helpful to have before now. Yeah, for me, for me, it was like, like for me, Rebecca Reedy did uh, a good, like a solid job. She wasn't trying to imitate Mira. She was trying to put her own spin on Mira's accent. But what came across for me as the most, uh, I guess, accurate was the warmth in her voice. She got Delenn's warmth, especially when she's with John, when she's talking to John. There's a quality of care, compassion, love, and warmth in her voice when you, you see them together during the series. And I thought she 
embrace that really well in this. And that's extremely important because that's yeah. the linchpin of the show. And I joked mm-hmm. with Justin on our team, who again, Justin will be able to watch this for another year, that basically just go listen to Huey Lewis and the News' Power of Love. And that is the story mm-hmm. of The Road Home. So I think uh, having her be yeah. warm and connected to Sheridan's important. Baz, you had something. I was just like, I completely agree. It's the warmth of Dylan that's really captured here. Also, this opening, opening bit before we jump as well, that my favorite gag is the fire up the baby, fire up this baby joke. And the Mimbari completely, their reaction to uh, Sheridan, that had me laughing out loud. That was, that was great. Hmm. Yeah, one of my <laughs> Ryan disagrees things, with the baby fire. No, no, no. I, actually, I, actually, I, I like that scene. It makes me think of uh, like when Ivanova would say, ah, oh, hell, and then, it's, then they start shooting. Um, I was going to say, one of my favorite scenes is in this opening, too. I just really liked when uh, they were on the White Star and and John and Delana talking, and it's like, why are you in the shadows? It's like, aha. But then they just open up to one another. And that's also something that I found to be interesting about this movie that does have a running thread of John having to, you know, come back home and Delenn is after him and all that is their relationship is is strong and healthy. There is no bullshit conflict shoved in there for the sake of this being a story about their relationship. It's like, no, they get on. They're 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 very good. And she makes sure to check in with him and he is still him. And that scene there where they're just just chatting to each other, I, I kind of just sat back and I'm like, oh, I, I am glad that we, you know, you know, this film has to achieve a lot. Like this film's existence has to achieve a lot. And yet we can still have time just for these two characters to talk about how much they love each other. And I'm like, nice. This is nice. So let's go ahead. And even though we can't say lost in space on this, we can say sliders because Franklin absolutely says that Sheridan is sliding. So let's go ahead and slide for the first time. And we go 23 years into the future. So several years after Sheridan's death and we find both Franklin, voiced by Phil Lamar, who I think has the longest resume of any of the voice actors in here by far. And we also find Garibaldi, uh, voiced by, oh my goodness, I don't have his name pulled up. What, somebody help me out. What's the voice actor for Garibaldi? You should have the Anthony Hansen. Thank you, Anthony Hansen. So let's talk about that scene. How do we feel about this as our first time jump? Uh, well, Franklin says Pacmara, which really upset me for some reason. <laughs> that really, and then I listened to the commentary track, and JMS and Bruce are saying it like that. I'm like, when did when did we decide that this is how we say it now? That was really like my first impression was, oh, we said something wrong, so I was a bit on edge. Well, yeah, you know, Phil Lamar's great. Like he's just one of those voice actors where you you're in comfortable hands. You're like, oh, this is like. I'm watching the new Futurama at the same time. So I'm also experiencing him coming back in as Hermes and all that. And, you know, I was thinking about like, oh, so is this after John has died? Because they do take a little bit of time to play that. And to counter one of the points about the facial expressions, I thought for some reason... (laughs) Franklin had the most expressive face out of all of our characters. Maybe it's the glasses. Maybe it's just he he's aged up. But there's this moment where you can tell he's lying. And I wasn't expecting to be able to read those type of emotions and facial expressions from the design that we had with these characters. So just to give it some credit where it's due, I do think the animation 
showed itself to be competent in that moment. Mike? Yeah, and I think part of that is Phil Lamar, actually, coupled with the animation. And like we've already touched on, I mean, Phil, Phil Lamar is like a prolific voice actor. And the one thing I can say about him is I do feel like at least, yeah, I mean, he has a catalog of over 500 uh, credits. So to say that I've watched a small fraction of them is very accurate, right? But out of what I have watched that he has been in, I will say that a good chunk of the time he's easily very recognizable as Phil Lamar. He has, um, there, there is a voice that he uses a lot. That said, then there's Futurama where he does Hermes Conrad, and I think he comes off very different. And I actually was very impressed with his performance here because I think he did another really good job of not aping on on Franklin, but he captured the essence of Franklin and at the same time did not sound like Phil Lamar. Like if I didn't know going into it, I wouldn't have guessed that that was him. And I think he did a fantastic job portraying that character, portraying subtlety in his voice. I know exactly what you're talking about with the scene as he was discussing it. I'm like, oh, we're going to find out more about that in a minute. (laughs) And yeah, it was just very, very well done. And then along the same lines, I think, you know, the voice of Garibaldi, I did not think was spot on. But I think it was very good, and once again, it was it was distinct, but it captured the character very, very well. Uh, the one thing I would say on the Garibaldi voice, I think it was the most. I don't. I don't mean this disparagingly, but the most generic of the voices, except for there's one line where he comes in for the first time here, where he just misses Sheridan, where he sounds absolutely like Jerry Doyle. But then the rest of it, it's kind of flat for me. But that one line sounds like it. Bass. Yeah, so I mean, actually, for me, I thought Hanson was great throughout. I thought he really captured Garibaldi. And when I was discuss- when I was discussing this episode with my co-host Luke on Dream Given Form, we were saying there were Luke was saying there were moments when he, thought, he obviously forgot, almost like forgot that Jerry Doyle wasn't going to be there because it sounded too much for him and to me like it was Jerry Doyle. So I thought that was great. I thought it's a really good scene. Um, I I don't necessarily understand the lie because Sheridan knows that he has nineteen years to to live. So. The fact is, it's, it's a couple of years after sleeping. Like that felt. I don't know what the point of that bit was. It's a, it's a solid scene. It's ne- it's a necessary exposition scene, um, which I think was needed to get the clock moving. Um, but I thought the performances were good, good throughout. But I don't necessarily understand the need for the, the kind of the lie about the time frame because if Tiffy goes, well, you jump to the future, you jump past your death. Well, Sheridan knows he's got time it anyway. So what was the need for that lie, Mike? Yeah, I thought about that exact same thing. And the best kind of explanation that I could come up with was that I I initially had a bit of a criticism where it felt like, you know, B5 has been guilty of this before, where the character just kind of knows way too much about something that should be way out of their wheelhouse. Like, oh, all of a sudden, Dr. Franklin is a quantum a physicist you know and understands time travel and dimension hopping implicitly so that is a legitimate criticism but the other side of it with that scene and him telling the lie i it actually i thought back on it and i'm like you know that's like a very human thing to do where somebody just mysteriously appears out of nowhere and he's joking about giving himself a phone call and like what is the gut reaction that you have do you tell them that oh sorry you're dead now or do you just kind of like, uh, yeah, I wouldn't do that. And then kind of like look away and like, oh, the Bigfoot's behind you. And then 
change the subject, you know, like it, it's like a little white lie that you just tell for like an, a, a personal, I don't know, personal moment or something, the gut reaction. Yeah, I, I felt the same way, Mike. And obviously Franklin seeing Sheridan in a more vibrant part of his life, you know, when we see him in Sleeping Light, Sheridan is tired and old. And here he is cracking jokes and looking like he's in his prime. So I just don't think Franklin wanted to rub his face in it. Yeah, That's... like logically, there's no reason why I shouldn't tell you that you're dead now. But like emotionally, <laughs> it just doesn't feel like the right thing to do. It could have like been a case unaware. of maybe he wanted to give him hope that they were able to save him somehow. Yeah, that's very true. Because, I mean, these guys have cheated death so many times that, you know, we got 20 years to figure this sucker out. Yeah, that's how I interpreted it. Maybe that's he just wanted point. to give him that little bit of hope that he did get to live longer and Lorien was wrong. Yeah. You get to see your son and all of that. Yeah. yeah. Right right after you sealed the deal and defeated the shadows and became president of the universe, you slipped in the shower, hit your head, and that was that. <laughs> <laughs> and then you made the flux capacitor. That was a toy. <laughs> Anybody else on uh, this first little scene where basically this is like the, we're going to tell you what's going on scene. It's a lot of expedition dump, but I'm with you all too. I think Lamar does the best of the and of course i mean he is like the quintessential voice actor so i'm not surprised by this but even when i heard the first intro where they were all doing it was the dawn of the third age and blah blah, blah. when lamar's voice popped up as franklin that was that just sent a cue in my head that this guy is pulling franklin off really well unfortunately we don't get much of franklin in this but what we do yeah, I think he, does he, he pulls franklin, it off he does what franklin often saddled <laughs> with which is just explain the thing and say good luck on your adventure bye i'm gonna stand here and you go off and have fun and i will i don't know Maybe I'll have a walkabout. Who knows? Bye. I, ironically, our our show is our next week's show is interludes and examinations. And believe it or not, most of our newbies think that Franklin is off the show at this point because I guess he just wasn't as active as they expected. So when he packs up his box and leaves, all of them ask, "Is he done? Is he gone?" And some mm -hmm. of them just assumed, "Yeah, who's gonna be the new doctor?" So that's sad for Franklin, I guess. I think for me, it felt the most natural scene in mm. the timelines. It just felt so comfortable to sit and watch it. There was just that familiarity, I think, between the two characters that came across incredibly well. And I am obsessed with Star Wars Rebels. So when you know I heard the voice, I was like, oh, no, we've got an Organa. This is like the best thing in the world. I'm so happy. So just to sit and listen to that whole exposition of it, and then Garibaldi calling at the end, you know, Garibaldi style being late and at least he wasn't drunk, you know? So mm. there's always, that's always a bonus. He just turned up and he was like, oh shit, I missed him. Bye. And then it was over. But it, it felt so natural. It was lovely. Then my last little point on that, that hit hard for me, the whole, you just missed him. How many times in our lives have we been so close to seeing somebody we haven't seen for so long? And this is like, Nope, you yeah. just missed him. That, that made me think of uh, him missing Sinclair. Yes. War Without End. Because yes. that obviously yeah. ties yeah. into War Without End. And it's like, oh, he got to also miss his other friend just by this much. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The greatest oh, man that yeah. ever was. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I don't, I'll, 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 say it, I'll say it now, but it was nice that they made sure to have him bold. 
and have his hair change in the different timelines we were visiting. I, I, I was so happy with that. I know they had to. It was obvious, but I was just so happy to see, oh, look, it's bold, Garibaldi. Yay. Well, and, and Ryan, you, you say they had to, but I, that's one of the things I really appreciate about these guys, and I'm sure JMS was involved, but the animators too. The continuity was held. Like, Lanier's wearing a ranger robe with the emblem and uh, at the beginning of the show. Lockley is wearing her uniform correctly. They, they got the time stamps right. And there's no, that I could see, major continuity errors, which, you know, I mean, they could have absolutely had many of those because of what yeah, they're Sinclair's, doing. Sinclair's hair was a little... little uh little military buzzy trim during well, that's the a war without end. I'm like, where's his long, glorious hair? That's a different timeline, though. I don't know. No, when yeah. they just go to <laughs> war without end, when they're yeah, like, true. do you remember this, by the that's way? True. Do you... And, talking about you know voices also he's a guy just doing a marcus voice for one line and it was very distracting to me i'm like that's not even a british person come on it wasn't even a line it was like a grunt (laughs) oh no it's where's he gone anybody else anybody else on this time before we jump the only the only nitpick i had was how long was sheridan unconscious for Garibaldi to get there when Franklin called him. Because was he on Earth? Was he on Mars? What? Where? How? How did he get there so fast? So now there's a sci-fi fan right there. Oh, yeah. How how fast does it take to get eggs to Babylon 5? Because we've never had that conversation on my show, ever. (laughs) Eggs and bacon on the station. Okay, let's go ahead and we're going to jump back in time a little bit to the farm in 2258 with David and John and mom, but we never really get to see mom ever. It's like a running joke now. So what do you all think about the cornfield? Yeah, we did see her once. Yes, right. What about the cornfield? She loves shopping that his mom. She's always out shopping. And she can't parallel parks. Yeah, Yeah, flying shuffles. Yeah, yeah. Locked up by the Clark regime. Yeah, yeah, our newbie still. Yeah, that's another thing too. Oh, is shopping code for getting locked up? Newbies, you're trying too hard. No, you're trying too hard. But uh, yeah, the farm stuff was was okay. It didn't exhilarate me. This was very much a scene where it's like themes. This film has them, by the way. We're letting you know that there's themes, and you're going to accept that. And that is one of the criticisms I do have about this. Is as a film is oftentimes I I wanted it to feel a little bit more adult in its approach. Some of the times I felt like this was a little bit aiming lower age demographic than me, just through how it was dispensing its themes and messages. And I was like, oh, that's right. You know, he, he has written for children's cartoons in the past, but there was just something about it during this farm scene that was just uh, emblematic of that particular issue I do have with the movie. And it's not because it's a cartoon. That's not it at all. It's more just how simplistic the messaging is delivered to us. And so it's a good, it's like, it's, it's sweet. It's nice, but it's just one of those necessary scenes where it's like do you know that we have themes and we are going to explore them in our sci-fi way for the remainder of the runtime so yeah yeah i'll get into this more when we get into the the rim sequence but i really think this is jms being very uh introspective as a writer but i'll talk about that more later Baz. Yeah, I, I think if the last scene was a necessary exposition scene, this is a necessary thematic scene that they need to have. But 
I, I, as soon as you have that whole cornfield metaphor, you know it's going to be a corn. Get, go back to the cornfield. That's how he's going to find his way home. It's called the road home. It's it's layer so thick that for me, as much as I appreciated the David uh, and John Sheridan scenes together, I thought they were they were nice. It was the one scene that I felt, do we need this? Is it? I mean, I, I know you got the kind of ball of light, which we know is going to be delayed later on, but it just it felt laid on a little bit too thickly for me to, um, it was too obvious what we're trying to, we're trying to do. And, and you know, Jemis is, is a clever writer. That I think it, it, it was, yeah, I, I, I just felt this is so blindly obvious. Why, why, what, what we, I don't, do we really need to see? Alexander. I think, uh, I'm I'm in the minority here then because I I have to say I absolutely love the scene especially because for me it it really showcased the one of the strengths of this movie where I at this point have a hazy memory of all the Sheridan and his father scenes and somehow I don't know exactly how they did it but visually it immediately captured this for me the way the lighting the color palette works in this scene this farmhouse is exactly what I always imagined but never saw in the original show and this ability to expand on the existing sets on the glimpses that we never really got to see because Babylon 5 doesn't really leave the station early on very much uh, this for me was uh, very much like getting to see the the comic book adaptation where the uh, the artist can just go crazy and show us just a few glimpses more although i have to say the 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 space shuttle going for the shopping trip was a little bit much for me where i thought like i i appreciate the old farmhouse in the cornfield i don't need like this reminder of oh by the way this is a space setting so we we have like a flying shopping cart now kevin yeah this is a more of a favorite scene for my me too i liked it a lot um, the only continuity error that I found was in this scene, however, where he says 2258 was the year I took over Babylon 5, and that's a year off, which I was surprised surprised by that they would make such a such a verifiable error with that. But other than that, I was also surprised by the, the age of the voice actor playing David Sheridan being in his mid-30s because it really sounded very authentic that he was an older man. Yeah, Piotr, Piotr, uh, Piotr, Piotr, Russian guy, Michael, uh, did a really good job. I really liked his voice, and we don't get him much. And, of course, that was one of the one little theorizing things we all had, and I'm sure a lot of people had, was which David are we getting? Are we getting Dad David, or are we getting Son David? Well, we got, we got Daddy. I actually very naughtily told Baz that it was the Dad, and he didn't even realize. Yeah. Oh, um, I was like, I, you know, we, we had this conversation and the trailer came out on our, on our podcast. And I was like, it's, it's his son. No, it's his dad. And I, I was like, we were completely a polo opposite. So, Medusa, you won that one. Um, I was completely wrong. There was no David, son David showed in this film, but uh, I stand corrected. She was cheating. That was, the, that was the one thing that I let slip in five months, was that. Uh, I, I didn't even know. So, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> See, I'm with Kevin and Alexander. I think Kevin, Mike, and I are Illinois, Iowa boys. So we have grown up with corn, lots and lots of corn. So whenever I, I just, that, that, that was the most beautiful scene for me artistically. It was wonderful seeing the sky, the corn, the farmhouse, but also, yes, are they beating the theme over my head with a big stick? Absolutely. And I'm okay with it because I enjoyed the theme of this movie. And I think if you, if you do enjoy where this movie's going, that um, at least for me, I was able to let that go because I, 
I, I enjoy what they were going for here. And yes, it was absolutely predictable that he's going to have to find his way home through the corn again and have to use his feelings rather than his science and whatever. But uh, we'll get to it when we get to the rim sequence. I'm good with it. <laughs> yeah, I always like the dynamic between the, uh, David, the father, and and John Sheridan. And so I was, I was it was nice to see uh, revisiting that since we got that so little in the series. Medusa? Um, I think for me, it, it kind of did lay out everything that John needed to do to get home. But as you say, the aesthetic of that scene was just beautiful, actually. The animation was really nice to just to look at, like the corn and the breeze. And I just think it was amazing. And it made me want to just go watch Field of Dreams, actually. So it was a really nice thing to kind of just sit and watch. And that relationship with his dad is lovely. And it just it takes you back to what he had to do when he was on Zahadun. He had to think of Delenn to get out of that purgatory in a way to get to get out of it. And he had to think of Delenn and it was it was kind of a nice little callback to that. You know, like that if you think about what you love, you can get out of here. So I liked that it referenced back to Zaha Doom as well. Speaking of Zaha Doom, let's go to Zaha Doom. Twenty two fifty six, the Icarus. Yeah. It's not yeah. Zaha Boom. Okay. Zaha Boom. No. <laughs> this was uh this is the scene this is the mo this is the timeline I don't care for very much at all. When my wife and I watched it, she said, Oh, yes, just like how they told us in the ISN news report, and then literally one second later they played the clip of the ISN person telling us that again. I'm like, dude, we just we know. Like I like I that's one of those things that's like you don't need us to be beaten over the head with that. We we know that. And that's where like this scene, the sequence, it's like there are some things where it's like, okay, you have to streamline it for the sake of the narrative flow of a film. And potentially if new people are watching this too, but also as someone who believes that this film is made more so for people who have seen the series before who are fans, it does raise a lot of questions of why was this not mentioned? Why was this not brought up? Like Anna Sheridan exists <laughs> and not at one point is it even like an eyebrow is never raised from John about it. Like you could say, oh, that woman's voice on the radio is Anna. Tough shit. It wasn't said in the thing. He didn't react in any way. It was it was just one of those things that like drove me I insane of like, okay, on you're on Zaha Doom and you're not mentioning one of the most important things. And I understand you're streamlining it for the film's story, but also mainly this served as this is where the shadows came from. You know, the nebulous bad guy that is just ghouls in this movie so <laughs> gotta go gotta go there to show you how their city came up out of the ground and it's like i don't know like i like seeing zaha doom it was kind of fun i i like that the ipx crew were there and they were like corrupt weird jerks i kind of enjoyed that very much and that one of them had an evil goatee because they're evil but uh or corporate but i don't know i just i i had a lot of struggles with zaha doom and also just we spend so little time there that I kind of like shrug and go, oh yeah, Zaha Doom was in this movie too. I think it's very important that we don't get Anna in this scene uh, to take a hard stance otherwise, I suppose. Um, because the whole point of this is the road home is love is Delenn, right? Mm -hmm. And Anna is someone that is so far in his past at this point that it is no longer relevant to that road home. 
I'm with you on that one. I was thinking the same thing. Is I, I was I was expecting to see Mr. Morden. I would love to have had Morden be one of the guys that gives him the mask or something. Like even on his like have Morden listed on the shirt or something. That's fine. But I agree with you on this. I, I mean, Anna was a very important part of Sheridan's past, but she's not a very important part of his present and his future. She, he literally buried his wife twice once with a nuke so he's done with anna he's moved on she will always be a part of him but this story is not about that so i think anna popping up would have kind of confused matters more than anything else baz what do you got yes yeah i mean i i read it that was anna was on the on the call and that was all i needed i, I didn't need to see early what i think he's moved off manner anna complicates things a little and maybe maybe there's a streamlined approach here. Actually, there's a, something nuanced you can't get with multiple episodes. I see what Ryan's going about there because if if this was a a multi episode or a much bigger film or a two part film, you might have some of the more nuance around. Oh, Anna, how do I feel about that? Given delay and so on. But I don't. I think for the streamlined focus stage of the film, I don't think it was. I think you're right. It's moved on. So I read it as that was Anna on the on the radio, and that's all I needed. I would I would love Morden, but to see more than that had been quite cool, but I, I, I immediately went, "Oh, that's Anna on the radio," and that's and that's a little glimpse of that, but that's all you needed from that. The shadows themselves, I, um, I mean, we could talk about the shadows. I really like what they were doing with this. I mean, they are like they are the uh, bugs and Sasha troopers in this movie. They're, they're on mass, and they're doing something with the shadows that was never really available to them in the show. And I think there's going to be a love-hate thing with them. Personally, I prefer the shadows of Barbara Fire, the TV show, when they're a bit more menace and, a bit, and there's fewer is more with them, I think. But this was quite fun. So the whole thing of the big city coming out was quite cool. I'm like, this is cool. All these shadows, this is cool. And I, I was okay with that because it was because they were able to do stuff for animation where they couldn't have done with special effects at the time of the 90s, I was all right with the idea of this kind of on mass swarm of shadows, but uh, he's awakening of the shadows. But uh, even though personally, I prefer the shadows when less is more from the TV show. Alexander. Um, yeah, just to uh, step onto that, and I, I'm actually kind of the opposite. I, I really love that we ge do get to see the shadows as ghouls, as just this swarm of creatures, because we are getting kind of the uh, bird's eye view of them. We get Sheridan sort of jumping retroactively through the timeline with hindsight and seeing them kind of for what they are. And I think it reminded me a lot of the scene where Londo eventually has the associates of Morden gunned down, where you see if you just know that they are there and just invisible, it doesn't actually take that much. It takes two guys with like uh, their regular ceremonial guard attire and and uh, silly little uh, Tommy guns that they wield, and it's enough to actually get rid of them. And so this idea of seeing them in this more creature style uh, actually quite appealed to me. And this is one of the things where I feel like it this scene of Zardun doesn't add terribly much to this movie, I don't think, but to Babylon 5 as the show, when I rewatch that and now have this context, okay, this is what they actually saw. They saw literally a city coming out of the ground and just this world-ending army of shadows. Then I can buy into, okay, this isn't just uh, Mr. Morden coming up to them and giving them this deal, but this is this, like, Lovecraftian cosmic threat that they're encountering, and this is why people on this crew actually signed on to become meat puppets or not they i i hear this is an ongoing discussion <laughs> maybe <laughs> I, I, I i go back as well it, it was cool and i was okay that i like that it was cool 
and it's big and big and bold and um, I didn't even want that. I was kind of happy with that. The argument online about the shadows here it kind of reminds me a little bit of you know strange new worlds will bring Star Trek in for men. Well, this isn't the Enterprise that we're gonna we saw in the 1960s. Well, if they had a budget in the 1990s to do this, I bet you we would have seen some shadow soldiers, but we didn't because they didn't Absolutely. have a budget. Um, yeah, definitely. But I will say that this is the weakest timeline for me, just because. It doesn't give me anything new. I think this timeline is here for people who haven't watched the show because you need to have context of what the shadows are before the next scene. So I think that's why we have it here. So for me, it's just like, oh, it's it's Zaha Doom. Great. But he's my question. Is this like an uh, is this is this movie really for people who haven't seen Babylon 5? Just be honest. Is it? No, it's not. If it was, so, if it wasn't, then I would let my newbies watch it now, and I'm not. So, like, like, look, and when I mention Anna, I don't need any of that mention. But there is that human part of me that's like, the premise of this is you're time traveling through your life, and you're seeing different events, and part of that is you may get tempted to try and change those things, which he does at times as well. And it just was very strange to me, like there was no human acknowledgement of like my wife my my ex-wife who i mourned for several years is on this planet like i know you don't need it because it needs to be streamlined as mentioned but it was that thing of as someone who's watched the show that was my first thought like he was a wife guy even though his wife became a husk a part of me is like wouldn't you want to try and say wouldn't you want to try and save her from becoming a husk like wouldn't a little part of you want to say when now we have a Mass Effect in, reference, and I really appreciate it. <laughs> yeah. When, you, when she radios in, wouldn't you want to say, Anna, get out of there? And she's like, John? John? And then he transports out? Like, there was that little part of me that's like, come on. But that's the thing. Like, as a fan, I'm thinking of these little pedantic things. You have to keep it through narrative consistency. So you have to just tie it into all of that. But, yeah, it's that wrestling match that this scene brought up of like, well, this is for the fans, mainly than for new people. But there is a lot of scenes that do feel like you've got to make sure new people understand these concepts that are inherent to the show. But it's like, you know, and I, I think I think, believe it. I bet you part of that came from WB Animation too, is like, hey, when you're writing this JMS, we want this to be something other than just for people who know about it. So you got to put something in here. I agree with you. If you have not watched the show, a lot of this stuff's going to go over your head. But I think part of it was he had to put some of this stuff in here. Mike, what do you got? Yeah, somebody somewhere thought it was a good idea or thought that there might be the slimmest possibility that this movie might serve as a jumping on point for for more people to join the Babylon 5 fandom, I think is the idea. As, as ridiculous as that sounds, I think there's some exec somewhere that thought that they had to do that um that said i totally agree with ryan on this one too like when that scene began what i expected was john to go screw with the future and try to save his ex-wife and the fact that they didn't do that at all was actually kind of jarring to me (laughs) you know i see it differently the we needed to see the shadows we needed to see a presence of the shadows to understand some of the information that gets passed along later. But since the through line of this is the road home and Delenn is his home, he's over Anna. There, he doesn't have to try to save his, his dead second wife because he's happily with his 
you know, loving, caring, understanding uh, third wife. Like, I mean, she gets his humor. Come on. She's, you know, she's the one, literally. Did I and miss a wife in there? Lockley. Lockley. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I did. Oh, I'm still on season three, guys. I'm sorry. <laughs> I didn't realize that would be a spoiler for you. No, no, no it's not a spoiler for me. I, I, I'm on season three, and I'm I'm locked. Yeah, and that's, I'm locked into season three. I'll get yeah. locked into season three. Yeah. And, <laughs> you know, for me, that's what makes one of the later sequences absolutely ridiculous. Funny, but ridiculous. So. Mm-hmm. I think I agree with a lot of what everyone else has said, to be honest. I think the whole not acknowledging anything, I was kind of a bit like, that is a bit odd. He'd probably at least try and say something or at least warn her in some way. Um, I like the fact that we did get to see the shadows en masse. It kind of reminds me of Doctor Who, though. Like, classic Who, you saw maybe three Daleks, if you were lucky. And now you get like thousands of them. So like technology does change things. So you do get, you know, like, especially, if you know, the episode of the Doctor Who where Rose goes through into the alternate dimension and you've got the void and there's just thousands and thousands of Daleks coming out. We would never have had that in the 60s or the 70s. So obviously the, the change in technology has completely altered that. And I think for new people watching it, I think that's why that scene was there, to see them en masse, to see just what threat we, they did face during the war. But for people like us, we were just kind of, who've seen it, probably were just a bit like, oh, that's cool. There's like loads of them. We only ever used to get two or three. It's really nice. So that's kind yeah. of how I looked at it. Everything wrong with Doctor Who, I blame on Stephen Moffat. Shafir, what do you got? Ha! You're muted, and I everyone's hating well, my hot take. Well, well, I thought well, I had well, unmuted. Well, I clicked well. the... I clicked the unraise hand, uh, the wrong button. I, the literally, I this is the, <laughs> the third time I've used Zoom, and every single one of them has been one of these. So very telling on myself, I suppose. Anyways, uh, I think a lot of what the extraneous scenes for not necessarily for new people. I don't think anyone's coming to this saying, "Oh, Babylon Five, I always wanted to watch this. Let me get the road home." But I do think what a lot of this is for is a recognition that we've had that, what was it, 16 years since anything? And there are people who watched all of that who now have new people in their lives, be it their children, be it a partner, a spouse or something. And so I think a lot of that extraneous storytelling for people who have seen the show probably a couple of times or people who maybe haven't seen it since it originally aired i'm sure there's there's someone who fits that profile who picked this up having oh babylon 5 i remember that show from the 90s and then picked up this movie um i think a lot of this is aimed at those people who might have some kind of almost through osmosis knowledge of the show uh, yeah. much more so than a full-on newbie yeah, case in point, my 13-year-old daughter has not watched one second of B5. I've tried. But when I was watching The Road Home this morning, she was on the couch with me watching it the whole time intently, and she got through the entire movie. So there are people yeah. who are going to check this out for the first time through that osmosis. Absolutely. Yeah. My, my son, same thing. Never, never watched it, but um, tried, and then he watched the whole thing with me, and he followed it. So maybe scenes like this were important to be able to, be able to follow the whole thing. Mike, 
I'm I'm still hung up on the fact that at least some of you think that you could like become a widower and then just completely forget about your first wife and move on and not give two craps about trying to save her from an impending terrible fate. The the one last thing I'll say on this, and I to Ryan's point, it's not in the movie, so it's not like explicitly said. For me, Sheridan throughout this entire movie is completely and totally kind of confused and bewildered. So part of it too is I I think in my head canon with his slides it is uh, to use another time travel show it is Swiss cheesing his brain because he just seems confused the whole time so I I'll give it that as well too that he just isn't thinking about that kind of stuff I think that's a reach but I'll accept it <laughs> the literal fate of the galaxy depends on events going as they did so maybe you don't want to. I mean, I mean, I don't know. Hannah's fate was a pretty big deal to him at one time. I mean, he did almost commit a cold-blooded homicide over it. True, <laughs> yeah, but before, listen. he's a different person now, though, and the galaxy's a different place. He's I still love though. my first dog. Who hasn't, wanted, who hasn't wanted to nuke their spouse at least once? <laughs> and Sheridan has problems with time travel, uh, spatialities, and math, as we saw in the series. So I'll just leave it there. Yeah. Sheridan's dumb. I'll just leave it there. <laughs> okay, let's go. We've been on this one that I thought was going to be the shortest one for a while. So let's do another jump here. And we've got B5 under Sinclair. And I would call this the War Without End timeline because I think this is absolutely what we see for that brief moment in War Without End. So where do you want to go on this one, guys? I personally, done. obviously, this was like my favorite thing in the entire thing because I love Jeff quite a lot. So um, just to delve into this, I think, was my favorite thing about the whole film, actually, was this segment of Jeff. Just more Jeff in my life. That's that's all I need. I love how you say Jeff, by the way. Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> that's what you got. Still the one. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, again, it, it's it's the war that ended. It's basically doing the whole all sort of all the things they were teasing in Battle Square, the war ends, and just having fun with it. And like for me, it was the most entertaining scene. It was the it was big. It was a it's a big what if uh, if the show did come and basically blow the crap out of five. What if Sinclair hadn't hadn't left after season one? And I think it has a lot of fun with that. And um, yeah, I mean, I, I had a I had a great time at the. That, that giant shadow ship was really cool. I missed the, the classic shadow ships from their screens, but the big shadow ship was again, it was really cool. I had fun with that as well. And um, yeah, there's a there's a lot going to see. All the stuff with Sheridan working with Sinclair was, was great. Um, the whole Leavers thing, I've heard people call call it the um, the one kind of quiz. It's a little bit like stages in a computer game where you've got to pull the levers to get to the big bad at the end. And uh, I can see that. I I I I did no problem with it. To be fair, I mean. Apart from the previous couple of scenes, by this point, I was having a really great time and I just enjoyed all of it. When Lita comes in, uh, Pat Torman is fantastic as Lita. I had a great time with that as well, being badass Lita. And it's big and it's bold and the stuff with Avonum is really good as well. And um, it's just doing that blow the shit out of Babylon 5 stuff that was teased throughout the show. And then and here it is for all, you, for all its glory. Alexander. Um, just talking about having fun with it, my... Probably favorite not story related moment in the movie is 
we get to see the grappler again and it's actually like used in combat to take <laughs> out the shadow fighter which is the most impractical most improbable way to to introduce any kind of star fury fighting where we are always so proud how realistic they are but uh, that was that was just such a dumb fun scene and uh yeah like like you said Babylon 5 has never looked more pretty than in these scenes where we get to see like all those close-ups and flybys and really getting to see some of the detailing that that we all we could wonder about I did chuckle and cheer when the defense grid opened up and we got all the classic hey here's the big gatling gun here's the big cannon one that goes like this i just i was having a big smile on my face with some of that i'm not a big like um weaponry ship porn guy or whatever but i did have a big grin of hey look it's our old friends again (laughs) the cgi insert shots we would get in every episode there was a space battle the same ones and it's the exact same but modern cgi but the sequence was one that I felt very happy with because we got to kind of live in it for a while. We got to see all of these different characters and their dynamics. We got to see what I really liked. And it was one of my favorite relationships in the show was Susan and Jeff talking to one another and then being up on the CNC and dealing with stuff. And there was someone on CNC who looked like Corwin and he looked afraid and I smiled and I'm like, Hey, look, it's my little friend. And he looks at it and they gave him season three Corwin haircut, which is the dorkiest Corwin haircut. So I had a, I had a big grin there, but yeah, this was this was an action-packed scenario, and it also gave us the shadows in a way that we didn't get in the show either, which is, yes, they're this en masse horde of things that are just rampaging through the ship. And oftentimes when I think of the shadows, I don't think of the actual physical aliens. I think I think of their ships. That's what the shadows are. I'm like, their ships, that's what the shadows are. We know how powerful their ships are. So we don't even need to see in the series their, their actual physical selves. But um yeah, and I look, it's fan service, but it's fan service for a reason because you got to service the fans, which is Sinclair and Sheridan get guns and they look at each other and it's like, now it's action time. Let's kill the bad guys. And I'm like, okay, yes, give me that. Give me, give me these two men killing bad guys together. I want that now in my veins. If you had, if you did not get goosebumps off of, do you know what a uh, last stand is? I'm like, come mm-hmm. on, come on. <laughs> Yeah. This time it's personal. <laughs> <laughs> For me, this is. I actually came into this movie. The one thing that disappoints me about this movie is it didn't answer as many questions as I thought it was going to. Being a time travel, being so far removed from the series, I thought this was going to be an opportunity to kind of answer some lingering questions that we've had over the years. And the only time it does that is this is absolutely for me that flash forward in the last time we had time travel. So now when I watch those episodes, I will know for sure, and we always kind of thought it was, that it's the shadows invading. And when Garibaldi does his aliens impression, he's shooting at shadows. And so that is a nice little thing that I have now, that I have that little cannon that confirms what we all kind of thought. But I was actually expecting more of that. So this scene is good for that reason too. Mike, is this where you couldn't tell the difference between a character? Because I think it is. 
<laughs> I, I was I was raising my hand for a completely different topic, so we'll, we'll get to that in just a second. Uh, I, I was going to say, just because others have touched on it, the, the shadows attacking in mass thing did actually break my headcanon a little bit, because to me, I always, I always, A, assumed that the shadows were more limited in numbers, much like we kind of assumed the Vorlons. Like, there aren't that many of them left. They have a lot of cool, nasty toys, but actual Vorlons and actual shadows maybe they're more limited in number because of how ancient they are. And I always thought it was a lot cooler or more, I don't know, it's more of a cerebral thing that the shadows are these creepy dudes that appear out of the nothingness and, and do their nasty deeds versus like attacking you like the, uh, somebody already made the inevitable uh, Zerg or, or Starship Troopers, you know, analogy. Um, so there it's you a go. Zerglin, Lester. A it just, it just kind of broke my headcanon a little bit to see to see them attacking, you know, in in mass like that swarm tactics. Um, Mike, we played StarCraft way too much as kids for you not to like that. Correct. Well, uh, yeah, that's why I, I can't was, break the connection now. Like, I thought it was dorky that they had shields. I'm like, don't give them shields. Yeah, yeah. I don't like the shields. I don't like them. I, like, I don't like it. Don't give it to me. <laughs> I'll give you that one. As much as I had absolutely no problem with the hordes of shadows, they don't need psychic shields. They don't. Yes. Um, so My... back to your. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Summer. <laughs> no, I was going to say I I enjoyed this because I love action scenes and we get a little uh, since. I'm also a fan of Westerns, uh, Lita and Jakar acting like Butch and Sundance, literally like Butch and Sundance, uh, was was a delight for me. And this is when I started nitpicking about which timeline we were in and how we got there and how we go forward from it. And this scene and two other scenes later really mess up the timeline for the original series. And... I have so many questions that we can get to later. I bet Lita was really wishing she had taken up Jakar's rec uh, re uh, recommendation to go to Narn. I think she was thinking. Um, Before we well, go back to my... At, at oh, this ahead, point, she does have pleasure thresholds. At this point, she does yes. have them. So we know this is a fact. I just want to say with Lita, I was so happy to see her. But I did, I did laugh a lot at her dying because it's like oh jms finally got to kill lita on the screen because it's like he's tried so <laughs> he's hard tried. before it's like she was supposed to be in crusade but then wasn't in crusade and if there was a lost tales it was going to be that and it's like pat tolman somehow kept dodging these jms bullets <laughs> to kill lita on the screen and then finally it happened in animated form and i just and i said Oh yay! We found a way to make Lita miserable in animated form by murdering her brutally in front of all of us. Yay! Like I just, I just had a, I couldn't help but laugh about it because I'm like, <laughs> I, I, I had my bingo card. Will Lita die somehow? And she did. Obviously, she she comes back in some way. But I did have a big chuckle about it because, as a fan of the show and knows some behind the scenes, it's like constantly has been trying to edge and getting Lita murdered in some way, shape or form. And it finally happened. So I know Mike, you got something else you want to say, but before that, I know Baz, you have to run too. So Baz, say what I, you want to I, say, I, and then also plug yourself too. 
I will do, yeah. So I mean, you guys enjoy the chat. I'll listen to the rest of it. I'm sure there's plenty more to say. Um, yeah, just on Pat Tillman. And yeah, I know she's been trying to avoid being killed before. When I spoke to her uh, a few weeks ago, she she loved every single scene. So I think she actually really appreciated the death scene as well. So this is one scene she was up for. So that, that was really great. Um, yeah, so yeah, I hope you guys enjoy. I'm looking forward to listening to the rest of your discussion. You've got plenty more to discuss. I've got to run, unfortunately. But uh, yeah, yeah. Um, my, my podcast, A Dream Game Form, um, we do have interviews with Pat Tobin and Peter Drusick, so I'm going to plug those as well. And my book, um, The Triumph of Five, the sci-fi classic, it's long, Twilight Struggles. If you go on like, Amazon or other bookseller places, you should be able to find it now for pre-order. Hopefully it's out in November. I'm waiting for the final dates for that, but uh, please check that out as well. And I'll happily come on any of your guys' podcasts and talk about the book too in the future. Awesome. Thank you, buddy, so much. Brilliant. Great chatting, guys. Uh, uh, have fun. So, Mike, you had another thing you wanted to bring up as well, too. Well, there's there's a lot to talk about in this scene. I was going to answer your question about was this the scene where I was confused which character I was looking at. And yes, it, it is. Uh, but I think we discussed prior to recording that the, the pilot of the Star Fury that we focused on really heavily was, was actually Keffer. But I know at least when I watched the show, I, for a good chunk of it, thought that was supposed to be Sheridan. Or not Sheridan, sorry, Sinclair. Um because that is another one where I didn't necessarily think that Sinclair's animation, facial mm. expression. So Sinclair is cloned. Like it, it didn't make any sense to me then, and it didn't. I mean, yeah, no, I agree though. I thought I'm it was just Sinclair in the ads as well because they showed this pilot in like one of the little promo things. I'm like, oh, it's yeah. Sinclair flying his Star Fury because you know he was a pilot, so he's out there doing something we never saw, which is fight shadows I, in I, his Star Fury because he's a pilot. But I agreed, and I, look. Is it Kefa? I think one of the commentary t- tracks said that, but there was this moment as just a simple viewer and this animation style, he doesn't even look like Kefa if it is. It, it didn't really like, look like anybody. Why are we focusing on this pilot? Like I should know who this is. Like even if it yeah. was Kefa, like in the context of this movie, I'm like, we're focusing on this guy a lot. And then I can't even, like he blew up apparently. I can't even remember what happened. Yeah, and he got I more screen was... time and more lines than than not Marcus <laughs> and Garibaldi for that matter <laughs> well and frankly as I watched this I was like is that Sinclair is that Garibaldi I just wasn't sure who the hell it was supposed to be <laughs> <laughs> well I think that goes back to what I was saying too on Zaha Doom is and I know you don't want to dangle nostalgia out too much but this is a nostalgic thing and the fact that that wasn't a face character that we knew or get called out I think was a missed opportunity and if we got to see Keffer die twice even better even better <laughs> We, yeah, we would have known if it was Kefa if when he died, his face turned into a melted skeleton as it exploded. That's how we would have known. <laughs> but I wanted to ask this too. This is the sequence I feel like we get the most Ivanova in. And I was a bit surprised at uh, the lack of Ivanova in this movie, or at least the lack of her actually contributing to the plot itself and interacting with the characters. A lot of it was just, oh, Ivanova's over there, by the way. She's over there doing like dying or doing this. And then at the end, it's like, oh, she's also over there, by the way, saying stuff. But I was expecting, you know, because Claudia Christian is also a prolific voice actress in her own right. So I was kind of anticipating a lot more of her. And I'll say this now, but if you put a gun against my head and said, who will be in this movie more, Lockley or Ivanova? I would have said Ivanova, but Lockley's in this movie more. Who would be in this movie more, Londo or Lockley? I would have said Londo, 
but Lockley's in this movie more. And I love that. I actually love Lockley. And I said this last time that I appreciate that Babylon 5 and JMS has just kept having Lockley be there because she wasn't a very welcomed character. But Scoggins is so good in the role and that she's just managed to keep staying in the franchise has made just Lockley just a very good character because it's like she has stayed through sheer force of will. So I smiled, (laughs) but I was shocked that... Claudia and Ivanova just kind of wasn't in the story as much as I was expecting and and, yeah. and honestly wanting. Yeah. Yeah, Kevin, I know what you mean. Oh, it's, Medusa, it's, go ahead. Oh, I'm sorry. No, you're fine. Go for it. Um, it, it was like that recreation of her transmission that Garibaldi picks up because of the tachyon field. That felt like that was her part in that full sequence was just a recreation of that scene that we already knew of they inserted new parts and there were slight different camera angles and we did see some different things and obviously the shadows coming through into cnc we got to see but yeah i kind of agree with with ryan i feel like that was just let's just recreate this and then that was kind of her part and then obviously we had that scene with jeff and cnc which was lovely and was probably my favorite ivanova scene throughout the whole film actually was those two together because of the way because the scenes they had in War Without End felt distant anyways, two characters. So it was nice to have this scene in this, I think, for me. But yeah, I think it was strange that we didn't get much of her. Kevin? Yeah, I agree with both of you. I, I was surprised by that too. There really needed to be more. But that's not unlike the series in a lot of ways. There there could have been a lot more of Anava in the series too. And there were times when she was a little more than a set piece or somebody just to say something in CNC and then they were going on with something else. So I don't know if that's a, a bias that that you know is being uh played out um by uh by JMS here. Um since I know her leaving the series was always been a little bit marred, but um, I I could I couldn't agree more. There needed to be more Londo. There should have been more Ivanova. Um, I am always I'm always somebody who wants to see uh, more of the Marcus character too, and that was a little more than you know a line or two on on the White Star. But um, you know we're we're about to to go into on gray 17 the, the our newbies are about to see the war without end and i'm really looking forward to to watching that and then ha- talking to them with it so look for that on our show pretty soon here alexander i would have given anything to see just a scene of ivanova captain ivanova commanding her own warlock destroyer somewhere out there especially because there is this entire era of the show of the series where she isn't around and we know this is a a time period where she does presumably exciting things and even within the context of sheridan being drawn by his heart to places that are important to him i would have loved the idea that this was something that was gnawing at him that she wasn't there for his final chapter on babylon 5 and this is kind of what pulls him there and also just being kind of a, a starship guy and and loving the new animation style for the white stuff of Babylon 5, seeing this like pretty iconic ship in the fandom that we only ever see, I think, for five seconds in, in The Lost Tales or something like that, getting a highlight for this would have also been an, a wonderful thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Speaking of Lockley, though, let's jump ahead again. And now we're somewhere in season five or past season five, somewhere in there. And we're going to go deal with the Zathrai. <laughs> she came with you. 
Yeah, that was the, that's my favorite line in the entire Galdarn movie. And by the way, we haven't talked about him, even though we've talked about Sinclair and Zathras already. Is the work of Paul Giet? I think he was the he's the most fun because he gets Zathras so well. Mm-hmm. And that line, "She came with you," you know that, right? I'm just like, oh God. Yeah, I thought he nailed Zathras. He he did a great job of playing it his own way while still bringing in what Tim Choate did with that role. And Zathras is, you know, he's in the show so little in all honesty, but he's a memorable presence. And you can tell that JMS clearly had the most fun writing for Zathras out of all of the characters in this film. I think he was the one that was the most fun to write for. But I I loved that moment with Lockley too, because one of the things that has been really profound on on our watch through of B5 is... I always had a perception of Lockley being a lot more straight-laced and all business, no fun. But on the rewatch, I'm like, oh, she's weird. Like, Lockley's a weird (laughs) person. Like, she puts, like, so much sugar in her coffee. Every picture in her quarters is of the ocean. Every time she exercises, it's on glass tables. And it's like, she's she's fucking weird. And this movie said, Ryan, we know she's weird. And she's going to be 10 times weirder. She's going to be so fucking strange that even Zathras has to turn around and go like hey you know you know I'm I'm bizarre right but she came with you like she's crazy like what's going on here and I thought Tracy Scoggins did such a great job with the vocal delivery of the character of Lockley I I was like oh this is Lockley and I was just so glad to see I wish her design was better I kept forgetting that it was Lockley through just the design her hair was weird and Lockley has a few iconic hairstyles that they could have chosen from but um yeah I just I was like that was the thing too like we go down Zathras and you're expecting Zathras to be the kooky one which he is he has some weird lines but I I just couldn't help but smile at the fact that no no Lockley is the weird one and she even says I never met Zathras I wonder if we'll get on no, no, you won't. <laughs> of course not. <laughs> Kevin. I have to agree, actually. I think oh. the Lockley we met in this was the Lockley that we get to see more of in Crusade, to be honest. Kind of the more mm. laid back Lockley that we never really got to see much in season five. Because for me personally, I love the Lockley that's in Crusade. I think she's such a fun character when we get to see this. It's like when everybody left the station, this entire weight was just lifted off her shoulders and she could be who she was herself. She didn't feel like, you know, because when John was there and Garibaldi was there, she was this very straight list at times. But yeah, it's still weird. Character. You didn't know whether I at first didn't know if I could trust her or not when she first came into it because... I was kind of like, she was on Clark's side, right? I hate this lady. So I was in that kind of headspace with her. But by the time I got to Crusade, I actually adored her. And I love that the Lockley we got in this was the Crusade Lockley. For me, she was just so much more fun. Yeah, it's like when John is when John is on Babylon 5, he promises Lockley, I'll let you run the station your way. And then season five is him not letting her run the station in any way she wants. Exactly. So. Once she's gone, once once he's gone, we actually get to see what Lockley's like in Crusade and in the Lost Tales. And it's like, oh, she's actually pretty chill when you let her be, John. Let your ex-wife run the station, John. Yeah, we don't need to have sex in the missionary position, John. John. 
his socks on back, you know, his socks and falling backwards. It kind of evoke that when he does transport into her room and he's like, oh, you're in your thing. Let me just walk out of here. And he trips over in the closet. It has all of these cartoon sound effects, like a squeaky duck. Kevin, would you like to talk about the missionary position as well? Um, I largely forgot what I was going to say after all of that, but um, I've, I've been a fan of Tracy Scoggins for a long time because I was one of the uh, nerds watching uh, the Superman show in the 90s, so Lois and Clark, so uh, I remember her being on, I think, at least the first season of that show, but, you know, Grant. As, as much as, you know, season five gets maligned, and I've largely forgotten a lot of it because I haven't seen it in a long time. I always, I always really liked her being on the show and like the character, even though um, I probably would have preferred Ivanova stay on the show as, as probably almost every viewer of the show. But um, I, I did like the humor in that scene. Um, I thought, I thought it was well done. Uh, I think the dynamic between those two actors was always good uh, between Box Leitner and Scoggins. So uh, I I enjoyed this scene. I think uh, I think it was one of the the high points because it was it was a more fun scene than others. Yeah, I enjoyed the silliness of it. Uh, the fact that he's standing there trying to explain to her what's been happening to him, and she's in bed in her pajamas, saying, "Didn't you just leave here like two weeks ago?" And him not realizing, "Oh, this is my first wife." And she's in her pajamas in her bed and she has no idea what I'm talking about. Okay, we're there. And then the the silliness of, and the, the commentary confirmed it, the rubber duck in the closet that he stepped on and made it squeak was just hilarious to me. So let's keep on rolling because... I said this was going to be an hour and a half, and it's not. So we're now going to move on to the destruction of Earth. And finally, for the first time in this freaking movie, we get Peter Jurisic. Londo himself. I actually, at this point, I kind of forgot Londo was going to be in the movie because I had kind of, like, so much had gone on that I actually kind of got used to, oh, Londo's not here. Okay. Like I knew he was, I saw the promos. I know he's in it, but in a weird way, as much as I love him and I would want more of him and Peter does a great job and just the visual of him drinking wine with a Vonovo toasting to the end of the world is honestly, honestly a mood. And I love it. I was, I actually kind of now sitting back, I kind of accept the lack of Londo in this story because it's not about, it's, it's a John centered story. And as much as I love Londo, Londo is not really that central to John in major ways. Like Londo's Jakar, Londo and Jakar are their thing. John is, has Delenn and the Minbari and all of that. And so I, I I love this sequence just because it's like, oh, it's my favorite character is here. Yay. But it kind of did remind me, it's like, oh, he, he isn't in the movie much. And then I'm like, why isn't he in the movie much? And then I, I actually just accepted it. I'm like, he doesn't need to be. As much as I love him, he doesn't need to be in this movie all that much. So Ivanova's going to spend her last moments with Londo. Yes. I'm finding that a little. Oh, no. Okay. I know. Go ahead. Go these, ahead. these are the two most defeatist people on the entire show. Okay. They both believe that this, like, everything that can go wrong will go wrong. So putting them together at literally the end of the world is priceless. Okay. 
I did like I did like the humor, especially Peter's uh, Peter's humor in this scene. I thought was good. Um, it's it's classic Peter, classic Londo. Um, so I, I did appreciate the fact that they did put them together, but I, I hadn't really thought of it that way. So that's a good way to think about it, Scott. It's Bravario clock somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> Alexander. Um, just as a contrast also to the previous timeline of this heroic last stand as Babylon 5 blows itself up to, to still save somebody, and even as a contrast to the end of the Mimbari War that we see where Earth prepares this massive fleet and the Battle of the Line, I, I, I did enjoy that part of this being the ultimately like bad ending timeline is that Earth just kind of goes quietly into the night, that it's just nobody is left but these two most defeatist characters that are kind of enjoying the show but other than that uh, there is this profound just everyone having given up and um, I, I like that this continues the theme of the show that the shadow war isn't this glorious victory and after that we have the happy ending and then in, in return it's also not that you lose one big battle and then you can say ah the shadow war is lost and we all die now but it's this long drawn out process that people just have to kind of sit through and yeah, these are the only two people that I can imagine that actually enjoy themselves. Plus, I just, mm. I, I love the pettiness of the Warlons and like yeah. London's assessment of them being very sore losers. Like as an extension of what we know about their character, this is just so fitting that just out of spite, they're not even going to waste a shot on us. I, I really enjoy that. Yeah, I was going to say the Volon characterization was was wonderful too because it's not they're petty but they're also justifying it as it's a, it's a, it's an easier and more efficient way of destroying the earth than using all of our energy with this one big laser beam. We'll just use a little laser beam and and Majora's mask you to death. Uh and it uh, this sequence had my favorite animation. I really loved the water animation that they had when the moon yeah. is crashing towards it and you see the sea rising and it all rushing through. It was just it stood out. I was like, is this 2D animation? Because that is credited in in there too. And I'm like, this feels very 2D in comparison to what we've seen. And it really just left off the screen. It's just such a specific thing to reference. But it, it was just, I, I, I actually was like, could we have more animation like this water in this one sequence, please? I love it. But yeah, the Vorlons are petty assholes. And I appreciate that. With me, I think I found interesting with that scene was we had together the two characters that probably had the most complicated relationship or idea of a greater being a god or something sat together drinking wine at the end of everything really i thought that was quite cool to put those two together considering you know like when kosh is revealed and london doesn't see anything we know ivana has issues with gods and you know ivana is god so to see them two together i just thought it was a very clever pairing to put in that one scene of total yeah. destruction just the deadpan delivery of claudia reading off the pad that there's two minutes and 40 some odd seconds left I'm like that's ivanova man she even said in the, the last timeline everything ends i'm not afraid i'm like that mm -hmm. that's ivanova <laughs> yeah they also um really leaned in to 
Londo just cannot help but just be snarky. It's like, oh, so you're alive. Oh, okay. Is this what you look like after death? Ah, fine. Like you just you just can't help but be insulting. And same with the Vodafone. She's like, John, you know, you tried your best. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the art's still fine. What anyone can do. You tried, he is a star. I know I know several of us have gotten the chance to talk to Peter over the past couple of years and of all of the folks who returned as well too, and don't get me wrong, I think Bruce Boxleitner sounds spot on, but it's like Peter hasn't aged a day voice-wise, and I'm getting a little bit of feedback here too, uh, hasn't aged a day in, uh, in his voice. It's just, it's Londo, plain and simple. I love it. Hmm. So uh, let's move on. Earth is now kaboom. And let's go to the scene that I'm most interested to hear all your thoughts on, and that is at the rim. Well, one of the details that we haven't talked about, uh, two of them is John is being chased by a thing, and it's like, oh, it's Delenn, obviously. But one of the details I really love is he he leaps shall we say, or he slides through all these different timelines and dimensions because Zathras annoys him so much and that it pisses, like when he gets so emotional, it activates it more. It's like, hey, there's this whole thing of like, hey, you know, quantum mechanics, you got to calm down, all of that. And just, it's like, even the thought of Zathras will make him start fritzing out. And I thought that was very funny. I, I It made me laugh each time. I'm like, of course, yeah. of course it is. But yes, we have this, the rim scene. And uh, yeah, this is... um. This is where I part ways with the movie. I don't like this scene very much. Um, I'm not a big fan of love is the strongest force in the universe. Ooh. I don't, I, I also just find it a little corny. We get a visual representation of the rim as like an actual rim. I just, I just, I don't, I don't, I don't like this very much. It's not my cup of tea. And I said this on our podcast, but I feel like somewhere after season five of Babylon five, it's almost like JMS was like, ah, oh, man, that fifth season was a little too bittersweet. I need to kind of make things a little bit more sweet. So a lot of his writing, I feel, afterwards in the B5 universe has a lot more overt, syrupy sentimentality, and it was a little bit too sweet for my taste in this sequence. And also, like, I don't really care for the Jakar voice either. It's a very difficult voice to get, and I thought he sounded too uptight. And uh, kind of British, which I also got distracted by, just a little bit too hello though. And also, like again, you have to. This is one where it's like you have to have Jakar because he's a lovely character. But I couldn't help but think this: this is a Lorian scene. This should be Lorian here, but it has to be Jakar because, well, the fans love Jakar, and there's no other reason to have him in this story either. Yeah. So I'll, I'll agree with you on Andrew Margato. I think, and it's partly because I freaking love Jakar so much that Andreas Katsoulis, of all of the voice, of all of the actors, his voice is so distinctive. I think it was a hard, hard uh, attempt to make Jakar sound at least a little like Jakar, and I don't think it happened. But I completely disagree with you on this scene, but I'll talk more after everyone else talks. I just wanted to say I disagree with Ryan. Mike, what do you got? You're muted, Mike, but I'm sure you, whatever you're saying is amazing. Son of a gun. 
Uh, yeah, I just wanted to add, I've been kind of sitting here chomping at the bit to talk about the Jakar voice because Jakar being my favorite character in all of B5 and, and Andreas being probably the hardest voice to, to try to mimic or capture the spirit of. So it, it's really a mixed bag for me because I thought I thought there were times and, and especially during the I don't know what you want to call the, the what did you call this scene again? The They're at the rim. rim. Yeah. So they're not beyond the rim. They're at the rim. <laughs> The, the existential scene. Um, I thought there were times during this when when Andrew Morgado did actually an excellent job capturing Jakar, but it was it was inconsistent. There were times when it sounded spot on for the character, and there were times when it felt like somebody was trying too hard to impersonate him directly. And and mostly, I feel like you got the latter, uh, the bad impersonation in not in this scene, but even in the scene that follows this and the the wrap up. It, it it sounded very very forced. Um, and as for the choice of having Jakar be the intergalactic spiritual voice of reason at the end, it kind of both does and doesn't make sense to me. I I think Lorien would have been a better choice, maybe, but not really at the same time because at this point you want somebody familiar you want somebody who's kind of walked the spiritual journey and is closer to sheridan and that to me is absolutely going to be jakar alexander fundamentally i have to agree that i i don't like getting a physical rim because i I, I enjoy it more as this fuzzy mythological kind of thing that's that people talk about that can stand in as the afterlife, as the edge of the galaxy, as all that. But then I feel about that a little bit like about the movie as a whole, where I, I don't really want more multiverse stories. But okay, if this is what we're going to have, I do like the way that they do handle it at the end of the day, because... Babylon 5 has always done this, give us this universe that is full of magic and wonder, and then you get to meet the first ones. And it's it's kind of disappointing, not in a bad way, but you, you learn that they are just kind of petulant children that you can kick out of your galaxy. And it's something that you need to do for the younger races to grow up. And as part of this, I'm kind of glad that it's Jakar. Uh, sort of standing guard at the rim because Lorien is the character that we've known to do this, but he is part of this past life that we've kind of moved, moved beyond. And if a theme of Babylon 5 is passing the torch uh, down and creating some more magic, I feel like out of all the characters that we have in the show, Jakar is the one that is most sort of in line uh, to inherit sort of the Lorian role and become this like mythological figure that speaks to the truth of the universe because he's really even more connected to this than Sheridan even though he and Lorian never met but he is sort of this uh, this person that picked up all of the wisdom parted by Kosh and actually did something with it unlike the first ones and unlike even Sheridan who needed more guidance to get through this yeah I kind of understood that it wasn't the Jakar we knew from the series, that it was the universe manifesting itself to Sheridan and the image it took was someone whose wisdom he has always respected. So basically it was the universe saying, dude, you know the answers, listen to yourself. <clears throat> that said, if you listen to Andrew Morgado's story in the in the featurette about 
how he approached doing Jakar. If you close your eyes, it sounds like the Jakar we are familiar with. I don't know if they just had bad takes of his voice for the finished film, but he sounds more like Andreas doing Jakar in the featurette than he did in the movie. And I cannot understand that. Jafar. You're muted again. Damn Zoom. Damn Damn it. Damn Zoom. All right. So there is a bit here that was revealed at San Diego Comic-Con during the panel after the screening uh, about what exactly is going on and why this is Jakar. Uh, very specifically, this takes place in between 2271 and 2275 when Jakar is beyond the rim and he. this is a version of him that now exists in that space. Uh, so he comes back mm-hmm. and does other stuff. Obviously, you know, the end of his story is well-known. Um, and so there's that. that's why Jakar is here but also just the passing of Andreas so personally impacted uh, Joe, as he was saying that he wanted to make sure that this was the scene that we got with him here. Yeah. Uh, And I think that's why more than anything else, why we have Jakar here instead of Florian. This, I already kind of alluded to, this is my favorite scene of the movie. And if you do not agree with the universe talking back, as a plot point, then it's not going to be. I completely understand that. But for two reasons. One is what you just said, is I love the fact that even though we've been told throughout the show that the Narn don't make it, the Narn are not going to be an an elevated race, but Jakar is. Jakar got himself to a place where he is beyond corporeal whatever. It's very Buddhist, and this whole idea is very Buddhist, of the universe looking in on itself. And that's the other reason why I love this scene, too, is because I think it fits in perfectly what we've been told with this universe forever. I mean, Delin hints at it in season three, and we get it all over the place, is that the whole point of these, these cycles is the universe is learning from itself, and all of the, everyone is interconnected, whether it's with souls or whatever. So I just love it. Uh, I love this scene and it, it really goes with the theme. But again, I completely understand if you're not buying what this is selling, then it's not going to be. But I'll, I'll also say Interstellar is my favorite movie. So the idea that connectivity, whether it's love or whatever, is something that's more than just science and space. It really hits home for me. So I love this scene. All right, guys, I got to get going. Plug yourself. Uh, I'm going to plug myself, my podcast real quick. I'm Jafar. I'm from Who Are You, a Babylon 5 watchcast hosted by two strangers who our first episode is our third conversation we ever had, maybe our second. And we get to know each other while watching Babylon 5, which is both an important show in Laura and I's childhood. Uh, so we have a lot of fun getting to know each other and re-watching this show uh, and talking about Babylon 5 and making lots of dick and fart jokes. So that is Who Are You? <laughs> And uh, you can find us on your favorite uh, podcatcher, wherever. Um, we have social media. We mostly ignore it. Who are you? B5 at gmail.com. And then we have a Discord community that's a lot of fun. So, uh, everyone else, it was lovely chatting with you again. I'm glad the league could gather again. 
and uh, I'll see y'all later. Awesome. Take care. So anything else with the rim before we move on and wrap this sucker up? Um, okay. Let... Yeah. I gotta, I just, I gotta I drop just, off. Okay. I Thanks, can... Kevin. Take care. I just can't. I just, I find it a little, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it goes with the themes. This is thematically resonant, although I'm not a big fan of the, the love is the key. Love is the thing that will save us all. It's the most important guiding force in the universe. And they do make an explicit point or at least point out like, hey, you remember how the Minbari look at the universe and it's this thing that's trying to understand itself? Well, here I am talking to you about something that you need to understand about yourself and it's just one of those things where it's like oh I, I guess so like i never question that john doesn't understand this lesson being bestowed upon him even in this movie i never really question that he doesn't already know this that's the thing that i have a bit of a trouble with it's like hey john love's important it's like yeah i think he knows that i think it's more about he doesn't like his job more so than love um, is the thing that really disconnects me from this. And yeah, I I just find it corny. I always think of, um, uh, I can't remember which movie it is, but there's uh, A Wrinkle in Time. There's a moment in that movie where it's like, oh, the characters figured out the secrets of the universe and he writes an equation on the board we don't see. And he says, of course, love is the key. I'm like, what's that scientific equation? But um, I really yeah, like no, a wrinkle in time. I like it a lot because yeah. anything with a father and daughter dynamic, I yeah. love. No, I just find it a little, a little bit too sappy. Okay, we're dropping like flies. So let's get in the on the reboot universe is what I'm going to call it. The final one where we get this all handled. What I want to hear from you all uh, is how do you feel about this universe? Because I absolutely agree with a lot of you that we're going to come back to this universe sooner or later. But also, how do you feel about the the way they tie up this whole plot with Delenn being the one who decided to go find him? Uh, and then we'll wrap it up from there. I think... Okay. okay. Summer, I go think... ahead. And Medusa, you're muted. So unmute okay. yourself. I think having it be Delenn who was chasing him through time and space echoes with uh, what he realized about himself when Lorianne was holding him between Tick and Tock. It's uh, the, that, that connection is there. So I, I, I liked that that was the reflection back, you know, the callback to the, to the original series but a lot of the tidbits that were dropped here change everything. It pretty much erases a lot of season one, season three, season four. How, what's the reboot going forward going to tell the story of? Because we still, Sinclair is still on Babylon 5. The shadows have not awakened yet. Does that mean they will awaken and we'll get some variation of what's happened? This means that a lot of the shadow influence that came that was happening before season one hasn't happened yet. The, the shadows aren't awake, so they haven't influenced anybody. IPX is out of business, so that affects a whole lot of stuff. Uh, since we don't have the, the war against the shadows progressing like we thought, technically it means crusade is totally erased that whole all of that never happened so what is going to be the story does this mean that 
Membari souls and human souls never started to merge because Sinclair didn't go back in time yet. He hasn't become Valen. Is he not going to be Valen? Well, so many questions. Mike. Yeah, I'm actually not at all convinced that the universe that we see at the end of this thing is going to be the reboot universe. I think this movie has spelled out just simply the fact that there are other universes and it's going to be a completely different one that we're going to pick up in and it's not going to reference anything else. If for no other reason than because this whole thing begins with Sheridan having a memory or having an experience of of something that would shape his entire future <laughs> and and i don't think they can have that uh be the starting point of a new series that reboots the universe and kind of takes up the story from scratch uh the second thing is it was obviously delen chasing him the entire time because it would have been super duper weird explaining that the overall theme of the movie is that love is the answer and then it was mr garibaldi chasing him through space and time you don't know. There's some love there. He loves him. It's Lenia uh, chasing him through time, actually, oh, for to make God sure sakes. that he dies. So, uh, so Delenn is his. It's mine, John. I'm, I'm I do love what you did say, but I love that my Bill head... Moomy came back, by the way. We didn't say Bill Moomy came back. Season five is going to be fun for me. I'm just pointing it out. I did the, love that Bill Moomy came back as just a dumb version of Lenia. That was my favorite part of the rebooted universe is linear is really like like dim-witted and Lita is paired with him which is an odd pairing we never really got them hanging out before which was delightful it's foreshadowing yeah but i i kind of agree i always i took this as oh if there's more animated movies you can do it in this universe that we end on that's how i took it so i kind of look at as a as a thing yeah that that was basically what was in feds to me is if there's more of these animated films it will be in this universe at the end of this movie and the reimagining will be something completely different yeah in either case and that's what i'm kind of referring to too is because jms has flat out said that he, he he built this last little universe so he could tell stories with everybody in it whether it's animated or not uh but along Except with that just gonna point that out well, <laughs> I, I, there's there's reasons for that. Yeah, we had a nice chat about that, actually. Yeah, I was like, Talia, please, no, please, please, please bring her back. No, okay. Mm. I'm not jealous at all. Not 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 one bit at all. But I, I do Where's love the fact. Fukushima, damn it. Oh, for God's <laughs> sakes. Alexander, save us. <laughs> I, uh, I will jump immediately on the train of trying to get Takashima back. I've grown such appreciation for her after seeing the gathering for the last uh, the last time. So I, I I would love to see that. Give her a command of some space vessel too, and and have her around. That would be fun. Um, I I feel like the entire resolution of the big plot. I I at some point didn't really know why this movie even bothered to give us the more scientific side of why the quantum threat to the multiverse was there because it's resolved so unceremoniously well yeah love is the answer and that's fine and I don't necessarily have a problem with that and I understand that this sort of story kind of peters out the just picks Sheridan up and takes him back home and uh, all he really had to do the entire time was just calm down and wait for a moment that's fine because the rim scene very much felt like this is Babylon 5, once again, reiterating sort of the core of what it wants to tell us. 
and I feel very bittersweet about this because I'm still convinced that the original Babylon 5 universe has all the potential for a million different series. I want to see the telepath war. I want to see the conclusion of the crusade. I want to see what the Rangers and the ISA are doing. I, I will take a series about every single iteration of, uh, of the deconstruction of falling stars, and I would be completely fine with that. But it feels very much like this is Babylon 5 once again reiterating it's not really interested in exploring all the sort of big world building ideas that are out there and all the potential for more politicking and such. At the end of the day, it's more a story about the characters and their relationship to the universe. And then the final scene, this reboot universe that we see where, yeah, JMS sort of has all of his characters neatly in, in one timeline, in one place, feels like very much like uh, saying, this is the part that we also want to further explore. We are less interested in exploring sort of the future of the setting as a whole. We are more interested in seeing all of these characters that we know what happens if we put them together. And for this, I think it then also doesn't matter as much how many points are raised, what the state of the uh, Shadow Wars or such, because it is more of this toy box of, of saying, well, we kind of know what Lockley is like. Wouldn't it be fun if she is here at an earlier time? We had somebody else join. Hi. Hi, good evening. Sorry I'm late. I'm Sascha from Der the the other German Babylon 5 podcast. <laughs> hey, go ahead and plug yourself real quick. We're almost winding down, but feel free to join in as well, too. Well, I was on my road home uh, from Berlin. I just landed here. Uh, I see yeah. what you did there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, uh, our podcast started uh, six years ago, and uh, we uh, are through with a series. Uh, we did Crusade, and we are very happy that we have new stuff to talk about now. <laughs> the awesome. animation and uh, hopefully uh, the reboot. Awesome. Well, welcome. And for everybody who's still with us two hours later, there will be links to everyone's podcast in the uh, show notes below, at least on our Gray 17 one. And if uh, you all post this to your feeds, uh, uh, feel free to do as you wish on that. So real quick, uh, I think we've kind of gotten to everything we need to. So what I want to do is I'm just going to do real rapid fire. I'm going to go to everybody and just get your final like review. How do you feel this went? How do you feel it is? Uh, it, it ended up as this first time we are in the B five universe since you know almost twenty years ago, and then where do you see us going from here? And Medusa, if you want to spill some beans because you're uh, you know you're on the inside, let us know. So I'm gonna go to Medusa first. Your review of the the movie. How do you actually felt it uh, it handled everything, and then where are we going from here? I think it handled the uh, the entire multiverse storyline quite well i liked all the different timelines that we got to see i liked that a lot of the timelines were on different time streams as well um i've just recently watched an episode of stargate which is one of the things that i'm currently reacting to where the quantum mirrors resurfaced and we learned that the different realities they go to in that are all on different timelines so it kind of reminded me of that quite a lot as well so i think it was really cool to see those elements put in a lot of the story as soon as we got to the farm i kind of worked everything out because it was just kind of laid out for you this is how he gets home it's very similar to zahir doom um i think my favorite thing was actually was just seeing lockley ivanova sheridan jeff all together in that one place at the end pre-chrysalis that's what i'm excited about seeing if we get more of these animated movies like is Aniston alive in that timeline? 
is he still married to Anna in that timeline? Because we saw Delenn give him that little look in the elevator at the end where it was kind of like a little flirtatious look at John, but obviously she was still Minbari Delenn. She hadn't been in the chrysalis and changed at that point. So it'd be nice to see where that relationship possibly develops if we do get more of these animated films. Do we go down the same path? Is it going to be different? Because she has no need to change at this point. So how will that affect that relationship going forward if we do get to see that? And I think it's just the possibilities for me that make it quite exciting. Ryan. I thought this was competently put together. It was light. It was fun. It has a lot to do as a as a little film because this is the first B5 we've had in a while. It has to please a large amount of people whilst also setting up the potential for, for more. Um, in terms of the future, when we at least talk about this like animated universe stuff where you get to you know, this is a way for those original actors to keep playing these characters as well. That's something to really go over with it. But, you know, with with B5, I've, I've been a bit skeptical about the way that we've heard it's coming back because it is JMS saying, like, I, I want to go back to what I did before and kind of with my new set of skills and kind of do things, you know, quote unquote better and tinker with things. And uh, that's always exciting, but also a part of me is like, ah, but I like the show, how it was as a fan of it. So, but if you're going to explore it, I hope in the future we do get some more risky moves because this was very safe. Like if you're going to give me Delenn pre-Chrysalis, you know, are, are you in your new version, are you going to do a trans story this time? Uh, are you going to have any gay stuff in the next one? Because, you know, that is stuff that, you know, that's the type of thing you can do more now. And there's someone like JMS who's worked on things like Sense8. He's very competent and good at writing that stuff. So that's what I would like to see more of, of if you get instead of, oh, we never got to see this character hang out with this character, because that's very shallow in the end when it comes to, uh, redefining and expanding upon your previous work. That is just, you know, fans do that. You know, I want to see some more uh, uh, bold strokes going forward. Well, this, it was good. It was, it was fun. It was light, but it was, it was safe a lot of the time for me. So that's what I got to say. Alexander. Yeah. As a, as a way to return to Babylon 5 after some decades i'm mostly happy that it is saying look at the old show that is still exciting that is still great and this still has the potential to hold this community together i think a lot of what jms has done recently is showing there is an existing audience for the show and he has a very good ability to mobilize that so i'm glad that it's not sort of approaching this return of babylon 5 by saying look we can do something entirely new that has nothing to do with the old stuff and uh, pull in a new audience but i also agree that this movie, more than anything, the best thing about it is it makes me excited for more and uh, sort of as the springboard into maybe something more provocative, maybe something more uh, interesting, pushing the boundaries of what was possible in the 90s. And 
my my personal hope uh, is and this has nothing to do with with the grant potential that this might have but i i would just love to see the fun twist of maybe in this new reboot timeline it's another one of the first ones that has stayed behind not the warlords and the shadows i want to be excited by the big five season story arc about the walkers by sigma five, uh, 957 and what their disco balls are going to do the, to the galaxy so please <laughs> please just a, a fun twist to everything you've heard it here first more disco balls mike yeah i mean at the end of the day i i kind of said in the beginning that that what i looked for in this in this movie because the babylon 5 story to me was pretty neatly wrapped up if you if you exclude some of the uh you know crusade some of the following material that i that i kind of discard frankly um and so when you have a story that is start to finish and it's pretty neatly concluded, I looked at this going, well, what is it going to add? You know, what is its justification for existing? And I think the biggest thing, sorry, the biggest thing is whether it arguably springboards a reboot or not. And I'm not convinced that it does that in any way besides introducing the concept of a multiverse. And for me, what I hope and what I believe is that if we do get a reboot, it's not going to have anything to do with what we just saw. And so that makes this movie enjoyable, but ultimately kind of unnecessary. It, it was fun. I enjoyed it. I'm glad that it exists. But as far as an extension of the known Babylon 5 universe, eh, like I could kind of care less a little bit. Um, I'm definitely with Alexander in that what I want to see in a reboot is something that is completely different. I like a rebooted story that explores the corners of a familiar universe, maybe with some familiar characters, but goes ultimately in a very different direction. You know, if I look at any, um, the same thing with any movie, I don't want to see a movie that's just a rehash one for one retelling of a story I've already seen. If I'm going to see a new movie and get excited about it, I'm okay if it shares the title of something I saw a long time ago and loved, as long as it does something new, something different, something unexpected, something interesting. And so that's kind of what I hope for in a in a B five reboot. And so again, that kind of doesn't jive super well with with what the Road Home ultimately does for me. Um, but again, I don't want to. I don't want to discount it. I think it was very well done. It was competently done. To quote Ryan, I think that was a great quote um, and a great assessment. It's very, uh, it's very clinical. <laughs> I think it was very, it was very competently done, and it made for a for a fun watch. But in the in the grand scheme of things, do I think it needs to exist? You know, not really. Summer, I enjoyed it. I I loved the nostalgic feelings it brought up. And I think this was a gift, a present to the old Babylon 5 fans to sort of ease them into the idea of a new Babylon 5. And I have been hesitant and leery of reboots and reimaginings the past 20 years. Um, but, you know, I'm a huge fan of the original Battlestar Galactica and I kept my mouth shut when the reboot came along 
because I wanted to to see what we were going to experience with that. And I love the reboot as much as I love the original. I have a feeling, thinking about it a little bit more, that last segment, we have a world we, where we have Babylon 5, but we have no shadows and we have no Vorlons. They have not been interfering with the younger races to our knowledge. That might be the story we get. And since JMS is driving this bus, I'm more than willing to give the reboot uh, eager support because I love his storytelling and he knows this world better than anybody else. Who else could reboot it or reimagine it and say, hey, let's have a different type of uh, existential crisis other than Vorlons in Shadow. Let's imagine a world without them and see where we go. That's what I think could be on the horizon. And if not, he's still riding it, so I'll ride. <laughs> I'll get on that bus. Be honest, your favorite BSG is 1985, right? No such animal. <laughs> and Sasha. You're unmuted, but we can't hear you. Yeah, well, if, I can't hear you. So if you can get your mic working, we'll pop you back in here. But yeah, for, for me, uh, I was not expecting to be the guy who probably liked this movie the most. But here I am. Um, I think... I came into it kind of hesitant because I am so freaking done with multiverses. It's not even funny. I'm a big MCU fan. And I think the multiverse has ruined the MCU for me right now um, for many reasons. But uh, I think it was done well. And I think absolutely it was just a nostalgic trip. But that's what we need right now. I, I go back to, and this is how I started the podcast. I go back to what Ivana has said. Sorry for the late transmission, but sometimes life gets in the way. And now we've been waiting for a very long time. And now this is just the start of a lot more, I believe, and I'm looking forward to it. And I think everyone was, it was done competently, yes, but I also, I, I enjoyed the story. Now, in terms of where we're going from here, I mean, like I said, JMS has said, if there's more animated films, it's probably gonna be in this last little chunk. And um, the for everything I've been hearing and seeing, both in the trades and then from some other sources is, this, the, the, the sales of this digital and DVD, 4K, whatever you want to call it, was much more than Warner Brothers was expecting. So I'm extremely hopeful that they're going to toss a few more million bucks at JMS to make another one here as soon as the strikes are over. And so at least we're going to get those I'm hopeful for. But when we come to the, the reboot, reimagining, I've been one of those who has been saying from the beginning that I think it's happening. It's just a matter of time and where it's going to be. And I'm looking forward to that too. It's, it's going to be great to have new stories to tell. And the last thing, you know, I, I mentioned this originally too, is I love where JMS is going in terms of his storytelling. He's been very introspective in his writing. I just finished uh, Together We Will Go, his novel from a few years ago, and there's two characters in there who are writers. And it's very much JMS being very meta and talking about how he writes and the idea that he just has these characters in his head and they they decide where things go. And so the fact that he has this whole new blank slate with all these characters that we love and we get to see where they want to go in his mind, I I'm so looking forward to that. I'm looking forward to it. Sasha, were you able to get your audio figured out? Crap. 
Boo. But if you can, we're going to go through and do our uh, shameless plugs as we wipe as we end this thing. This will absolutely, hopefully, not be the last time that the league joins but i'm so glad that we got some new folks on here and absolutely the most accents we've ever had on this show which is great uh and sasha's going to try to rejoin as well too so that'd be good so let's just go through and do our shameless plugs and i'll go backwards this time so uh summer you go first tim calendar and myself summer brooks are the hosts of the babylon podcast the technically the first ones amongst them all. We started in 2006 and all of those shows are still online. The videos for that are over on YouTube now. You can find those under the Slice of Sci-Fi video channel. Uh, I hang out on Twitter, Babylon Podcast. So come, come start an argument with me about Day of the Dead and I will pass your comments on to Tim and he will have a conniption. It's an amazing episode. It I'm is, right? Episode. Sorry, Tim. Sorry. Uh, let's go to Mike next. Uh, yeah, I am Mike, and we are uh, Babylon, or the, uh, Jesus. Mike doesn't even know who we are. It's great. Uh, it's awesome. I am Mike, and we are the Gray 17 Podcast. We're a group of uh, newbies and first ones doing a watch through Babylon 5. Uh, some of us for the first time, some of us for the umpteen millionth time. And uh, we're having a lot of fun gaslighting our noobs about things that do or do not happen. So join, watch us or listen to us uh, on anywhere that podcasts are distributed. Sasha, you're back. Yeah. Oh, there Time he goes. He has audio. Up. There you go. Yeah. Go for it, man. Yeah, uh, I'm uh, I'm Sasha from the uh, Der Gaurat, the biggest and oldest German Babylon 5 podcast and the only one talking in German. <laughs> so uh, if anyone can understand German, uh, it's uh, the home for you. And uh, we are... Um, yeah, uh, doing right now uh, some uh, um, a show called uh, On the Zocalo, and we, we invite uh, guests and talk about Babylon 5 so long until we have uh, new stuff to talk about uh, from uh, the hands and mind of uh, JMS. And you can find us on, uh, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's German, der-grau-rad.de, uh, and, uh, and anything, anywhere on Twitter, and, um, and it's, it's called X now, and we call it Twitter, and uh, Facebook, and uh yeah and spotify and and everywhere you find podcasts i'm just talking to myself without unmuting myself now no one knows how to unmute on this thing alexander you're up uh, yeah, I'm Alexander, and together with uh, Leila and Maike, we have the second German uh, podcast on Babylon 5, although we uh, are have everything in English, and our big conceit is that we are trying to build a tapestry, so we are pulling out the red string and try to really connect the themes, the little character bits, uh, little prop things, everything that makes Babylon 5 this like big overarching story beyond the, the plot that James laid out, and yeah, you can find us on pretty much anywhere you can find podcasts, and and all the social media channels at uh, the third age podcast i assume you mean me but you're still on mute so i'm from still on mute so i'm ah! ryan from yum yum podcast and my wife rachel and i go through episodes of science fiction tele- television we started as a star trek discovery podcast because that series 
really got our brains firing on all cylinders and we needed a place to talk about it. And then as we did, we would keep referencing Babylon 5. And then we said, should we just do Babylon 5 after we'd finished Discovery? So we did that. But we've also been talking about Space Above and Beyond, a short-lived sci-fi gem near and dear to my heart. And I realized that not enough people are talking about that show. When I look at podcasts, it's like people who do just a retrospective of the series as a whole, but not a lot of people were doing uh, episode breakdowns. So we decided let's crack that open. And also we're going through on our Patreon, The Expanse for the first time. Rachel and I haven't watched The Expanse before, so we thought let's let's chew into that. But yeah, we're just big sci-fi TV fans. We love Babylon 5. We, you know, we're all bragging about like the the first Babylon 5 podcast and the first German one and the only German language. And yeah, we're the only Australian Babylon 5 podcast. And uh, so we do get a little bit of fun of talking about the relationship as Aussies to B5, like how awful the distribution was for the DVDs or every time uh, Babylon 5 has a fake Australian in it. And it makes me giggle and laugh every single time it happens. But um, yeah, real pleasure to be joining you guys. You know, for me, I feel a little starstruck. I've got Medusa over here, whose videos I've watched. As someone who likes to stroll through the Spotify, I'm like, hey, look, it's the German podcast in the German language. And we often reference them on our show. It's like, hey, has anyone listened to the German podcast? I don't understand a word of it, but I'm glad that there's a German language one out there. I guess they're big fans over in Germany, which, you know, third age, you know, get to listen to you in English and you, and, you know, hearing from you guys about like, you know, B5 and I want to hear more about like dubbing and all of these intricacies as someone who just sees the English version doesn't get to understand. So real pleasure to be sitting with all of you guys chatting yet again about B5. And Medusa. Yep. Yep. There you go. I remember. Um, I'm Medusa. Um, I do video reactions on YouTube to sci-fi shows that I've never seen before. So you can watch all my 700 plus classic Doctor Who videos, every single Doctor Who episode ever made, I've reacted to. You can watch my entire run of Babylon 5 and Crusade and the Babylon 5 movies. Farscape is on there, which quickly just became my favorite show in the world. Um, I'm currently watching SG1 and um, I'm currently watching The Expanse as well. So those are things that I'm currently watching. And you can find me at Medusa Cascade, which is a Doctor Who reference if you're not a Doctor Who fan. You guys are going to love Expanse, at least I, I hope you do, because it is one of my favorites. It's great. But yeah, so I'm Scott. Um, Mike already plugged us, but I just want to say again, thank you to all of you for joining us. Those of you listening and watching at home, we really do appreciate it. It's been amazing for us. Gray 17 is about you know, five minutes away from hitting a quarter million views and listens, which is just amazing to us. And it's just been fun as hell. And we got a long way to go, and hopefully... We got a lot of new stuff on the horizon. So thanks to all of you for joining us, guys. It's been great. It's been wonderful. We'll get the, the newbie podcast back on for a chat as well too soon. Uh, we'll give Brent and Jeff as much shit as possible because I love giving them shit. So until uh, next time, uh, we have been the League of Not Aligned Podcasts. And thanks so much for joining us, guys. And uh, yeah, I got no catchphrase or anything. I got nothing. So bye. Thank you for listening to Gray 17, a Babylon 5 podcast. You can find all the places to listen to and watch this podcast at anchor.fm slash gray17podcast or youtube.com at gray17podcast. 
We want to hear from you, so join the conversation at Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, or Patreon. Be sure to subscribe and leave a review where you are listening to or watching this podcast. Gray 17 is not affiliated with, and the podcast has not been prepared, approved, or licensed by Warner Brothers or any other owners of the Babylon 5 copyright. All clips included in this podcast are the intellectual property of the respective copyright holders. They are included here for purpose of review, and no infringement is intended. The opening and closing themes are available from Falling Matter on YouTube. And what's out there? The rim. And beyond that? The truth.